And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio with you till three on this Monday as we start another week with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up we'll talk more about the Warriors and their NBA Finals victory as they had their victory parade today. The talk continuing over the weekend about Steph Curry will break it all down. Plus just when the Hornets thought they had their new head coach pulls a 180 and uh, bails on the Hornets so Charlotte has to go back to finding somebody else. We'll get to that coming up. Thoughts on the College World Series. Shane Beamer has been speaking uh, on Reddit as we speak. We'll get to that later on. Plus, we'll talk about Father's Day, some of the things that happened in Major League Baseball yesterday, as they always seem to on Father's Day, and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. We'll catch up with George Teague later on today, former Alabama safety and Dallas Cowboy, played in the NFL for a number of years. We'll talk all sorts of football things with George about two hours from now, and we'll be here with you till 3 on this Monday as you can join the conversation throughout the afternoon as well. 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays, on Facebook at ESPN Radio Charleston. You can always email the show, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com or also get to us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3 on this Monday, out on the road. We're in North Charleston at CSL Plasma, just across from the Northwoods Mall, hanging out at uh, 7800 Rivers Avenue. As this week, it's Donor Appreciation Week all week long. So we're here. We're actually outside. So if you come and donate plasma today, you'll be greeted by the Morrow Midday Show on your way in. Uh, We'll be here uh, today. We'll be at the other location here in North Charleston on Thursday. Fan Talk with Bobby will be out here Wednesday with members of the Stingrays. So a lot going on throughout the week. They have all sorts of giveaways as well. We will keep you updated throughout the afternoon and everything going on around here. Give away some River Dogs tickets as well. So much going on for CSL Plasma's Donor Appreciation Week, which is starting this week and going all week long. You can earn up to $800 in the first month of donating plasma. So we'll get into that throughout the afternoon. I'll tell you all about it. I donated my plasma on Friday and happy to be here. We're hanging out outside. It's a beautiful day. Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing phenomenal. Glad to hear from you, pal, on this beautiful Monday here in the Low Country. What a great Father's Day weekend. Once again, shout out to all the uh, fathers out there. I hope you enjoyed yourself watching the U.S. Open or whatever else was on television. It was a great weekend, Luke. Glad to be here in studio on this beautiful Monday. Yeah, it's good to have you aboard. We'll get to Trent's takes coming up later on. As mentioned, we're at the CSL Plasma. If you come and you donate plasma, it's a lot like donating blood. 
Uh, but they return the blood to you. They take the plasma out of the blood. It sounds a lot more scary or intimidating than it actually is. I did it last year for Donor Appreciation Week. I did it on Friday. It's been fine, and uh, we're happy to be out here. They give you 100 bucks the first time you do it. It takes, uh, because of some of the preparation, it takes a little bit longer the first time, but you get in and out with 100 bucks as you walk out the door. And then after that, you get paid for every time you come back. You could donate twice in the same week, so you can uh, get a couple hundred bucks in the first week, and you can earn up to 800 bucks in the first month. So what about that inflation? Yeah, come on over to uh, CSL Plasma here in North Charleston. They have two locations, and we're at the location at uh, 7800 Rivers Avenue across from Northwoods Mall and hanging out outside. You can't miss us. There's a sign. we got balloons. we got the tablecloth. we got the van. Everything. Come out here. Donate some plasma today. Come say hello. And we're also going to give away some River Dogs tickets as well. So stay tuned for that here throughout the afternoon. And they have all sorts of giveaways this week long for CSL Plasma, including fire sticks and tablets and a TV. They'll be giving away grocery coupons, a smart speaker, extra money, uh, just generic speakers as well. So all sorts of stuff going on at CSL Plasma. We'll talk about it with the manager of this location later on today as well. Nice just to be outside, if I'm being honest. Right, if you're going to do a show on location, not bad to be outside. We're in the shade, but it's a beautiful day here in the low country. So hopefully you're having a great Monday. All right, we'll talk plenty about donating plasma throughout the afternoon. But let's dive in. The Warriors won the NBA Finals on Thursday night. And then the story lingered on throughout the weekend, talking about Steph Curry's legacy. I've seen all sorts of lists being done or comparisons or where do we rank Steph Curry? What does this do for Curry's legacy? And the Warriors are having their victory parade today, actually, once again out there in San Fran. You know, I think Steph Curry, I compare him a lot to Tom Brady for a number of different reasons. I think they've gone on similar career arcs. They were both under-recruited coming out of high school. We know Curry had a wind-up at Davidson, and Tom Brady was originally a backup at Michigan. He did go to a big-time school, and he was drafted, you know, in baseball, so he wasn't some sort of slouch coming out of high school. He was known to be a good athlete back then or a talented athlete. But still, right, didn't have quite the college career of, say, a Peyton Manning. Wasn't the number one recruit out of high school. Wasn't even the starter originally. And then as we went to the draft, right, that's the, um, the biggest, the, uh, biggest uh, um, chip on the shoulder of Brady when I talk about being underappreciated, under-recruited, the fact that he was still around to pick 199 in the draft. Even Steph Curry, while he went in the top ten, Right, you go back and you look and you wonder, how were a couple of other guards taken before Curry? How did he last all the way to number seven? If you redid that draft, he would be the number one pick. So when you go number seven, that's a sizable gap, right? still being underdrafted. And the two of them, despite being underdrafted, underrecruited, underappreciated up until that point, developed themselves into all-time greats. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever play, and Steph Curry is, to this point, the greatest shooter we've ever had. They're both the best at what they do. Football's a little bit different. Brady only has to worry about playing quarterback. Steph Curry has to play all parts. So for Curry, it's essentially the same idea when you say he's the best shooter. He's the best at what he does. Brady's the best at what he does as well. Tom Brady wouldn't be the best receiver. He may not have the best hands or the most athleticism, but he's the best at what he does playing quarterback. Steph Curry is the best at what he's supposed to do, which is score and make threes and shoot. Right, That's how he makes his points that's how he does his scoring and he's the best at that and both of them also have led the best dynasties we've had of at least the last 20 years right the Patriots dynasty of course goes even further beyond that I would say it's probably the greatest of all time in the NFL and for the Warriors 
I'd still take the Bulls and what they accomplished, never losing an NBA Finals as better than Golden State. But the Warriors are at least in the conversation of top maybe three dynasties all time. But over the last 20 years, they've both done the best in their sports. And then you move forward in terms of their individual legacies or looking at them on an individual perspective. You know, Tom Brady didn't need more rings. He never needed more Super Bowls after the first bunch. But it boosted his legacy. It obviously didn't hurt. It only helped. He didn't need more rings once he got to number four or number five or once he passed Montana. Right? He didn't necessarily need a sixth. Certainly didn't necessarily need a seventh. He could have retired before going to Tampa Bay. Right? He could have retired instead of playing somewhere other than New England and would have been just fine and would have already solidified himself as the greatest quarterback of all time. He didn't need another ring, but he went and he got one anyways in Tampa, and all it did was further boost the legacy, taking away anything you could say about Brady. Right, The one thing you had left was, well, it's more about Bill Belichick. We now know that's no longer the case. He goes to Tampa, wins a Super Bowl with Bruce Arians right away. And meanwhile, Bill Belichick and the Patriots haven't been quite as successful. And for Steph Curry, I would say he did something similar, where he won his most recent final with the same coach, but without Kevin Durant. And that'd be the comparison I would make. Right? That it was important for Brady to get that final ring and to do it without Bill Belichick. And for Steph Curry, he didn't need this fourth ring to boost his legacy, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And he was able to do it without Kevin Durant. And that was most important. And after Tom Brady won, maybe it was his sixth. Maybe it was his seventh in Tampa, right? There was no more conversation. There really shouldn't have been a debate, but it's hard to debate now who's the greatest quarterback of all time. And again, when we say that, we're not talking about skills or athleticism. Instead, you're talking about the ability to win, to win Super Bowls, to be as successful as Brady has been. It's hard to debate he's not the all-time great. And for Steph Curry, what's the conversation being had now since his championship on Thursday night? Is he the best point guard of all time? Has he passed Isaiah Thomas? We played the audio on Friday from Charles Barkley saying that he believed Curry did pass Isaiah Thomas. Right, that's the conversation. For Brady, it was greatest of all time. For Steph Curry, it's greatest point guard of all time. And when you go back and look at their championships, early on, they were both seen as, I don't know if flukish is the right term, but certainly coming out of nowhere. Right, when New England won that first Super Bowl and Tom Brady came in off the bench and nobody knew who he was and they were huge underdogs to the Rams, and they end up winning that game against the greatest show on turf, and nobody expected it. And after that win, even after winning a Super Bowl, I don't know if anybody expected that they'd win two more over the next three years. And similar for the Warriors when they got their first championship and they had to fire Mark, Mark Jackson, and you bring in Steve Kerr to an underperforming team, and Kerr had never coached before, and then Curry and Clay Thompson turned in two of the better shooters we've ever seen, and they go and they win over 70 games before even acquiring Kevin Durant and win that championship the first time. When I don't know if anybody saw that success coming. right? Setting the record of over 70 wins, winning that championship. And again, wouldn't call it flukish, but just a surprise. And even though they won all those games and they were as good as they were, I don't know if we forecasted this present coming in terms of what they've accomplished since. I mean, they did go out and get Kevin Durant, so they must have felt a little insecure themselves. I must have felt like, yeah, sure, we could use another star. And then as they won more championships, as Brady won more and more in New England, he said, yeah, but it's really more about Bill Belichick. Right? You wanted to credit someone else. You wanted to try to take away the credit from Tom Brady, kind of like what I'm doing with the Yankees all year long. Yeah, but it's this. Yeah, but they haven't played anybody. Ah, they only won by one run. The Yankees, ah, they're not that great. 
Right? We did the same thing with Tom Brady for all those years. Yeah, but he's got the greatest coach of all time, and he's got the best defense in the league. Peyton Manning never had the best defense. And for Steph Curry, right, same idea. Sure, they won that first championship, but the Cavs were all banged up, and then, well, they had Kevin Durant. Of course they were going to win. And so for Tom Brady to go do it now without Belichick and to be doing better in Tampa than Belichick with New England, there's not much more you can say. For Steph Curry to go win this championship as he did last week and to do it without Kevin Durant and to play as well as he did, there's not much more that you can say to try to put down or slight somebody like Steph Curry or even somebody like Tom Brady. Right? What else can be said at this point? Now, the big difference, of course, is that while I would compare these most recent championships for these two in the sense that Brady did it without Belichick, Curry did it without Durant. The big difference, of course, is that Brady did it with another team, right? He went somewhere else to get away from Belichick and win that championship elsewhere. Steph Curry wasn't so much about a coach or a system. It was more about that Robin, that other star. And he didn't have to get away from the Warriors to remove himself from Durant. Durant did that instead. So the last thing you could potentially say about Steph Curry after all his success is something along the lines of, well, it's more about the system. We heard Brian Windhorse right, try to write off the success of the Warriors because they have the largest payroll in the league, which was a ridiculous type of slight towards Golden State. But for Tom Brady, we always heard that, right? System quarterback. Then he went to Tampa, and it's, all right, what about your system? All right, Tom Brady went and won the Super Bowl somewhere else with different players, different conference, everything was new during a pandemic. Even that argument kind of disappeared. And for Steph Curry, I've heard some people say, right, well, it's just the war. He couldn't win these championships on another team. And I would say that when it comes to being a system player or relying on a system, we always look at that as some sort of negative connotation for whatever reason. I think having a system that works for you is the best thing. Why are we complaining or trying to take away from such a system? Ask Lamar Jackson, who's in contract negotiations. Isn't it nice that the Ravens have built the system around him? And I would also say towards a Lamar Jackson, as he works on this uh, contract negotiation over the next 12-plus months with Baltimore, we'll see if he stays there, if he goes somewhere else. Does he re-sign? Who knows? There's something to be said about what the Ravens have done offensively. Greg Roman's the offensive coordinator in Baltimore. He did this with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. He did it with Terod Taylor in Buffalo when they were a playoff team. And he's done it to the best of his ability, better than those other two stops, with Lamar Jackson turning him or helping to turn him into an MVP quarterback with the same type of offense that Greg Roman has run everywhere he's gone with athletic quarterbacks. And I think there is a price to be paid for that, right? I think that's a valuable piece, that Lamar could leave Baltimore if he wants and take more money elsewhere or a longer contract or whatever they may be fighting over. But there's something to be said about that system or that team that they've built around you that has also contributed to your success. Michael Jordan was a system player, theoretically. He only won in the triangle, didn't win in the 80s. Phil Jackson came along with Tex Winter. They ran the triangle offense, and he won six championships in the 90s. And then you know who else won all his championships playing in the triangle? Yeah, Kobe Bryant. Kobe won nothing without Phil Jackson. Never even got past the second round before or after Phil Jackson. But when Phil was there and they were running the triangle offense, that's when he won all of his championships. A lot of the greats are quote-unquote system players. Tom Brady it was a successful system in New England playing, you know, great defense, having Bill Belichick, using a bunch of not necessarily star players, but elevating them on offense. They knew their roles. And sure, there was a lot of dinking and dunking and Brady not necessarily having to throw down the field. And it worked. And when he went to Tampa, he kind of 
blended his own system there as well to the point that Bruce Arians was kind of forced out the door because his system really wasn't meshing with Tom Brady and the way he likes to do things. Because you know, this is how Brady is successful. This is how we have to do it. And they chose Brady over Bruce Arians in part because of those reasons. They chose Brady and his quote-unquote system. When we say system, it's kind of like, in this case, just their way of operating, their M.O. And for Steph Curry and Golden State, yeah, maybe it is the perfect system for him. Maybe he wouldn't be as successful somewhere else if he didn't have Klay Thompson or he didn't have Steve Kerr as his coach or he didn't have this style of play or even this era where three-pointers are so important. You know, we call Steph Curry the greatest shooter of all time, and he is. But if Larry Bird played in this era, we may be saying the same thing about Larry. Go back and watch Bird. He was incredible. He could knock it down from anywhere on the floor. It was just that back then they didn't attempt the threes. But watch him in the three-point shooting contest and tell me, that Bird wouldn't be just fine in today's game. right? Larry could potentially be the greatest shooter of all time. If Steph Curry played in the 80s, maybe he wouldn't be as good as he is. Maybe he wouldn't even be much of an NBA player at all because back then they weren't shooting threes. Could Curry do something else on the floor? I don't know. But whether it's the era, the teammates, the system, we always look at that as some sort of negative. It should be a positive. It's a good thing. It's smart business by the teams, right, by Baltimore, to shape their offense around Lamar Jackson. For a school like the Citadel to run the triple option knowing that they're undersized and they have to do something to make up the difference. For the Warriors to build around these great shooters in today's NBA. right? For the Bulls to use the triangle offense with Michael Jordan and then Kobe as well and win a bunch of championships. Could they win those championships doing something else somewhere else? I don't know, but that wouldn't be smart. Why would you work towards somebody's negatives and not play to their strengths and this isn't just in the sports world it's in the business world as well you at your company right i'm sure you have a successful system you have a way of doing things or the company you work for has some sort of system where everybody plays their part and there are certain boxes to be checked and you know different people have different roles and you pass things off i'll tell you what i'm uh, doing a remote today we work in tandem with the sales team one of our sales associates out here handling things for me well so i could just focus on the air they're uh, essentially like an assistant handling all the behind the scenes. It's a great system. I don't have to worry about any of the other stuff. I can just do my show. Right? Now, you have a producer. Certain shows have other assistants as well. It's not so much about only being successful in the system, but it's about playing to somebody's strengths. And I don't view it as a negative. So for Tom Brady, yeah, you could call him a system quarterback. Steph Curry, sure, successful because of the system he plays in. I don't think that's some sort of negative. Right, Michael Jordan, theoretically, technically, was a system player in the triangle. Lamar Jackson right now, you could say, is a bit of a system player, having success because of the system he plays in. And that's important for the team to build around, and it's important for the player to stay there as long as they can. Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. His mother is his agent. Right, But my advice would be to consider that as well, that maybe you take a bit of a home team discount, but it keeps you there where you know you've been successful. Or you go somewhere else, they try to run a different type of offense, and it doesn't mix that well. And it's not as good of a fit. You're not as successful. It doesn't mean you're not a good quarterback. It just means that a system is playing to your strengths. The Warriors with Steph Curry, right, are just playing to his strengths. It doesn't mean Steph Curry, he's only good because of Golden State. No, maybe he is as good or as successful or can be because of Golden State. But that's more of a credit for them building around their star and doing whatever they have to to make him comfortable. That's what you should do when you have a great salesman, right? Build around, make it easier on him. Have some sort of setup where he doesn't have to worry about all the other stuff, right? Maybe a secretary is very beneficial. Somebody who's scheduling, a scheduler, could be very beneficial to make their appointments. 
somebody that handles uh, some of the paperwork or the financial aspects. They bring in the sales and the signed contracts. They hand it off. Somebody else takes care of the rest. They do the billing. The salesman's not doing the billing. They're not following up about getting the money. That's somebody else's department. They're just about acquiring clients. Every successful company, team, person, you should have a system. Maybe uh, yesterday was Father's Day. Maybe your father was very regimented and he had a strict schedule and he had a very, uh, you know, a, very much a system of how things were done around the house. And I'm sure things got done. And the house was always clean and everything was always taken care of. Homework was always done. A system's not a bad thing. We used it as a slight against Brady. People are now saying the same thing about Steph Curry. I don't view it as some sort of negative. I view it as really smart business. Build around your star. Make it easier for them. And for Tom Brady, he removed really all the negatives you could say about him. I think Steph Curry has as well. The last thing people will cling to, again, is the idea of being a system player. But I don't see that as some sort of negative. I see that, again, as just simply smart business by Golden State. Why not do that? You should do that for your star. Make it as easy on them as possible. And when we come back, speaking of Golden State, the Hornets thought they had their new coach, and they thought he was coming from the Warriors. Instead, Kenny Atkinson, over the weekend, after celebrating another championship with the Warriors, turned around and said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to stay here. And Atkinson pulled a 180. He pulled a Josh McDaniels on the Hornets. And he's heading back or just simply staying with Golden State. The Hornets now have to go back to the drawing board for their next head coach. We'll get to that when we come back. In fact, I'll let you know why maybe this could be a good thing for the Hornets and Michael Jordan specifically. We'll do that next. Hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston as part of CSL Plasma's Donor Appreciation Week. Come out, donate some plasma, say hello. They're giving away prizes all week long to those that donate plasma. It's, it's, I've done it multiple times now. It's uh, pretty simple. It's safe. It's not scary. It's a lot like just simply donating blood. It just takes a little bit longer, and uh, it's very easy to do. CSL Plasma here in North Charleston. We're hanging out at the location across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue, and we'll be here all afternoon. We'll talk about the Hornets next. It's the Mormon Day Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, Kenny Atkinson burns the Hornets, pulls a 180, goes back to Golden State. Why, it may be a good thing for the Hornets and Michael Jordan. I'll explain why coming up in just a few moments. Here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio, we're hanging out on the road today. We're in North Charleston at CSL Plasma, located across uh, from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue. And so come see us. It's... um, Donor Appreciation Week here at CSL Plasma. So they got all sorts of things going on throughout the week. If you come and donate plasma, not only do you get $100 out the door the first time you donate, but you'll also be entered uh, to have an opportunity to win all sorts of different things this week. They're giving away fire sticks, tablets, a TV, grocery coupons, a smart speaker, just extra money as well when you donate, Uh, speakers, other types of speakers, um, an Echo Dot. So all sorts of things that they're giving away this week. You can um, earn up to $800 the first month of donating plasma. You can do it twice in a week. You get 100 bucks the first time. I think it's 125 the second. You come, you donate plasma twice in one week. That week, you just got an extra 225 bucks for donating. Not bad. So uh, especially nowadays, inflation. You got summer vacations coming up. You got kids. You got to pay for their summer camps. 
or your kid's going off to college, those textbooks are expensive. I know. I had to use Chegg all the time. Get those cheap textbooks. It's an easy way to make uh, some cheap money on the side. just takes a little time. Donate some plasma. It's a lot like donating blood. I've done it before multiple times now. And you walk out with money. It's not bad. So we're hanging out here at CSL Plasma. Come see us in North Charleston. By the way, if anybody comes out and says hello to us and even wants to donate plasma while we're here, we'll also give you Charleston River Dogs tickets, vouchers, so you can use them for whatever game you want and uh, give you four for your family. So if you're around today, it does take a little longer than probably your lunch break. Uh, but uh, if you're not working today, if you're planning on donating uh, plasma later on, you want to give it a try, come see us today. And uh, not only will you get some money for the plasma, we'll give you some uh, River Dogs tickets to the uh, first person that comes and grabs them. Hey, the big news, we got um, saw somebody reach out to the show, ask about this. Kenny Atkinson, right, was supposed to be. He was never officially announced, but they agreed in principle to, to Atkinson becoming the next head coach of the Hornets. Then we got the report over the weekend from Woj that he changed his mind. And he's sticking with Golden State as their assistant. And the Hornets now have to go back to the drawing board to find their head coach. What went into this? Well, let's look at it from all angles. First, you know, last segment I was comparing Steph Curry to Tom Brady. Now let me use another New England Patriots comparison because this is very much like Josh McDaniels. Remember just a couple years ago, Josh McDaniels originally agreed, and this was far worse because he went further down the road with the Colts and even hired a defensive coordinator and bailed on him. But McDaniels agreed to become, at the time, the next coach of the Colts. And it was similar in that they just won the Super Bowl, the Patriots did. Atkinson and the Warriors just won the NBA Finals. McDaniels had before, you know, he had an agreement there that he was going to go coach somewhere else. You win a Super Bowl, you win a championship, and he started thinking, yeah, you know what, maybe I should just stay here. Less pressure and stress being an assistant, and we just won a championship. We could win another next year. Let's defend our title. And on top of that, the idea also was that Josh McDaniels, Maybe he would be taking over for Belichick soon. Maybe he knew something that we didn't. Now, in hindsight, right, Belichick, of course, is still there, and Josh McDaniels eventually went out to Las Vegas this offseason to become a head coach somewhere. But the theory, the thought could be that, well, maybe Steve Kerr with some back issues now has nine titles all time as a player and a coach. He's in his late 50s. Maybe he's not in for the long haul, right, especially as these guys start to get older, Clay, Steph, Draymond, just like Tom Brady was on his way out. And the thought was, Belichick, yeah, maybe he's not going to want to hang around once Tom Brady leaves. Maybe Kerr won't want to hang around as Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay get older. And Atkinson can slide in and become the head coach of Golden State, like we thought maybe for McDaniels with Belichick. Now, of course, we have since been a few years removed of the McDaniels storyline, and we know that even after Brady left, Belichick has hung around. doesn't look like he's retiring anytime soon, if ever. And McDaniels eventually took another job to become a head coach with the Raiders. For Kenny Atkinson, maybe a year from now we'll take another job. Maybe it was the Hornets gig that wasn't right. But let's look at this from all angles, right? What it means for Kenny Atkinson, well, kind of just touched on it. But maybe he's just not ready to leave. They just won a championship. Maybe he believes he can step in for Steve Kerr eventually. And if nothing else, he feels, you know, let me just give it another year. Let's see how things go around here. I'm in no rush. I'll have more opportunities down the road. We just won a championship. Why would I bail now? Plus, Mike Brown just left the bench to go be a head coach for the Kings. So Atkinson will be elevated to the associate head coach, I would assume, the the right-hand man of Steve Kerr, which, again, plays up this idea that maybe eventually he'll be his replacement. If you're Kenny Atkinson, it's never a good look. I don't like that, right? If you agree to something and then this quickly, you turn around and say, eh, actually, not so fast. 
But for Kenny Atkinson, what it means for him is just simply something either scared him off about Charlotte or he just uh, preferred, for one reason or another, to stay in Golden State with the Warriors. What does it mean for the Warriors? Well, for Golden State, again, as I touched on, maybe it means that Steve Kerr isn't there for the long haul. And Kenny Atkinson has his eyes on that prize, that position moving forward. Then we get to the Hornets, right? What does it mean for the Hornets in all this? Because that's most important. They thought they had their next head coach, and then he just bailed on them in essentially the 11th hour. Now that the finals was over, right, you get into Jordan probably called them up and said, all right, Kenny, you ready to come to Charlotte? Uh, come to the, what, the Queen City? Come sign this contract? And he said, well, actually, I think I'm going to stay. What does it mean for the Hornets? Well, you have to go back to the drawing board. It's also not a good look for them. Reports have always been that Michael Jordan, despite the type of star he is and the amount of money he's made, the reports have always been that Jordan is a little tight with the way he runs the Hornets. Don't have to think back too far to when Kemba Walker was a free agent. And look, in hindsight, it was a very smart move by the Hornets. But at the time, they were being shredded for offering Kemba nothing close to a reasonable contract when he was the best star they had for that franchise in a long, long time, and they let him walk. Now, again, hindsight looked to be a smart move. Kemba's knees have been breaking down, and so maybe the bull of the uh, the Bulls, maybe the Hornets and Jordan knew more than anybody else did and were letting him walk, but that's always been the reputation of MJ. It's right, a little tight with the way they run the organization. You want to compare that to Golden State, the other team in this conversation, and we know they have no problem spending money. They lead the league in money spent. The Hornets are never up there. And then what does this mean? I'll get back to the Hornets and Jordan in a second. But the last piece of the puzzle is what does this mean for a Mike D'Antoni? I assume he would now become the number one guy on the list. Worked for Mitch Kupchak before. Was, we believe, the runner-up to Kenny Atkinson. And now you have to get the classic call from probably Kupchak. I don't think Jordan's making the phone call. He's probably going to make Mitch do it. But you get that call to D'Antoni saying, you know what, Mike? You were the guy all along. Which, of course, growing up, maybe you were in a similar situation, maybe in high school with prom or just asking people out. A girl was interested in you, but you thought you had a chance with somebody else that you found more attractive. Then she turns you down, and you go back to that first girl, and you say, you know what? Actually, you're right. I was interested in you all along. You were the one. I didn't see it before, but now I'm glad I'm seeing it now because you were the right one for me. Right? The Hornets are going to have to kiss and make up and play nice with D'Antoni. Probably give them some extra money now out of it. Right, D'Antoni's got a little leverage now. Saying, okay, you're going to come back. Now you want to come hire me? You weren't interested in me two weeks ago. And the Hornets now are a little more desperate, so they're probably going to have to give D'Antoni a few extra perks to get him to come to Charlotte now because he has the leverage. But Jordan and Kupchik, somebody from that organization, they're going to have to call Mike today and have to play nice and say, you know what, Mike, this was a blessing in disguise. We really like you. We, we wanted you all along. We got pressured to, to give Kenny an opportunity. And I would assume... D'Antoni will be the next head coach of the Hornets, which seems like a safe assumption. Will he be the right head coach? Who knows? But I think it'll be a lot of fun for D'Antoni to coach uh, ball, and if, especially if they get Mark Williams out of Duke in the draft. And in that system, right, it could almost be like somewhat of a Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire 20 years ago in Phoenix with D'Antoni. I don't know how much they're going to win in Charlotte, but I can tell you it'll be a lot of fun to watch with that point guard and that offense. And I've always been a D'Antoni guy. I'd love to see him on the Hornets sideline. But it's just funny how this all played out. Now, lastly, to pay off the tease, as I said, why this could be a good thing for the Hornets. Now, how could that be? Because I've always said Kenny Atkinson, I think, is the better fit for the Hornets over D'Antoni. So why would this be good for Charlotte, to have a guy bail on them 
It's a hit to the reputation. It makes them look bad. They now have to go back to the drawing board. Well, because we know Jordan does his best when slighted. He does his best when he has that chip on his shoulder, when things become personal. You watched The Last Dance during the pandemic, and you heard the stories about Jordan making things up to have a reason to go out there and dominate his opponent, making up stories about how they offended him when they never said a word. Now here, maybe this is finally what will kick Jordan into gear because the Hornets have not been good enough under his watch. And you just had a coach who initially agreed and then in the final hour said, actually, you know what, Mike, I'm good. I'm going to stay with Golden State as an assistant instead of coming to be your head coach. And I'm sure Jordan, he'll never show it publicly. He'll probably won't even do a press conference. I'm sure that burns him when he got that news over the weekend. I'm sure that ticked him off, right, to think, what is he doing? He's not choosing us. He's bailing on us, on Michael Jordan and the Hornets. Jordan always does his best work when somebody ticks him off, even if it's manufactured. And even if Kenny Atkinson had a good reason to stay, or even if you understand why he would, I'm sure Jordan wouldn't be so logical. Maybe, and I know he's not on the basketball court, now he's an executive. It's maybe apples and oranges compared to back in the day when he'd have that chip on his shoulder. But Jordan always did his best work when somebody would piss him off, and I'm sure he's pissed off about this. And maybe this is finally what it takes for the Hornets to take that big step forward under Jordan's watch. We'll see. I assume they hire D'Antoni next. I don't know how well it will work out, but I assume it's going to be very fun, and I actually look forward to it. The Hornets are not going to win championships anytime soon, so you might as well be interesting. You might as well be fun to watch. Give me a reason to have to tune into you every night. And with D'Antoni, I think we'll have that reason. I'll enjoy watching the Hornets with uh, Mike D'Antoni as their head coach. Don't know how many games they're going to win, but it'll be fun along the way. Coming up, we'll touch on the College World Series and why uh, SEC baseball, I'm sure, is a lot like what uh, Greg Sankey's hoping for with SEC football, and I'll explain. We're hanging out at CSL Plasma here for their Donor Appreciation Week. We're at the location across from the Northwoods Mall, hanging out outside today because it's gorgeous, and uh, you can come see us. 7800 Rivers Avenue, donate plasma, get money for it. We'll also, if you come by, say hello. We'll give you some uh, tickets for any River Dogs game you want. They're vouchers outside of, I think, their July 4th game. There's a few exceptions, but otherwise you could use the tickets for any game you want if you come donate plasma while we're here. We'll be here today. We'll be here Thursday. Fan Talk will be here Wednesday at at, uh, CSL Plasma. It's uh, Donor Appreciation Week. They're giving away prizes all week long, and we're hanging out with them as well. It's the Moore Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston at the location across from the Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue for Donor Appreciation Week. We'll be talking about that throughout the afternoon. You can come donate plasma, get money for it, and they have prizes all week long as well for Donor Appreciation Week. You can win uh, some cool free stuff as well when you donate plasma. Help somebody else out, help yourself out as well, get some money in the process. Hey, even though we're out on location, you can always join the conversation. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com, click on our show page, and leave a comment there. Get to us on Twitter at Moro Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734, or you can join the conversation on the phones, 
843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. Is Tim still with us? Tim, yes, what's going on? How are you? What's up? I have a thought on the Charlotte job, and I don't understand why he hasn't gotten a job. But if I'm if I remember correctly, wasn't Mark Jackson the one that melded that young group of players over there in Golden State before Kerr took over? Yeah, yeah, you're correct, and, and he hasn't really gotten a sniff since then. Yeah, and he's got a young group in Charlotte. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I do listen and, and that, but. He's got a young group of guys, and he's one that's patient enough to meld that team together. I don't know why they don't even look at him. I, I like him better than Dan Tony. Yeah, it's fair. Now, I know Mark Jackson, when he, he kind of ran himself out of town in Golden State because I guess the, the reports there was a little <laughs> tough to work with. And also there was a whole thing about, um, you know, he's, he's very religious, and he kind of brought that into the locker room, and that rubbed some people the wrong way, regardless of whatever others' opinions may be. So I know there's some personality concerns with Mark Jackson, but you do bring up a fair point that, um, you know, he did a solid job with Golden State, and he's never really gotten a second chance, not much of an opportunity since then. I think the other thing working against Mark is I always say you could see somebody's value based off of maybe how well they do when you leave. And while we give Jackson some credit for building this up, it was also once he left that they started winning championships. So I think people hold that against Mark Jackson as well. Right, but I think he's the reason why they started winning championships. I mean, he had a young team. Kerr kind of, I think, in my now I'm not taking anything away from Steve Kerr. Don't take me wrong. But I think he walked into the perfect opportunity to take over a team that was already kind of built and meshed together and learned how to play together and, and do the things they needed to do. Um, and that's not saying Mark Jackson would or wouldn't have won championships if he stayed longer, but... I just think that I think Kerr walked into a perfect situation, too. Yeah, it's it's fair. Right, Jackson probably does deserve some credit for getting them to that point where Kerr could come in and then elevate them to win some championships. So he's a name that yep. uh, probably should be mentioned a little more than he is, but I don't know if the Hornets will consider him. Yeah, I think, I think he'd be a perfect fit up there. A young team, you know, some young talent, give him the time, give him time to, to work with him. And, I mean, don't they call Charlotte Sin City? I don't know. Is that what they call it? I think they call it Sin City up there in Charlotte. Might need a religious person up there. Straight <laughs> yeah, in that case, he would fit well. Hey, I appreciate the call. Yeah, what, Sin City? I don't know. Uh, they, uh, they're trying to be a quasi-Las Vegas? I've spent time in Charlotte. I never got that sense. Uh, Mark Jackson, like I said, the, the couple of things that, work, that are working against him are that uh, he – reportedly rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in Golden State, the locker room, the front office, the players, and that led more to his ouster than the actual on-the-court success or lack thereof. But then again, the other thing too, right, because he did build them up. When he got there first year, they won 23 games. Next year, they make the playoffs. Third year, they won 51. So he more than doubled the victories in the first three years. Steph Curry was uh, very early on in the career there. And then Kerr came in, and now they start winning championships, and they take that next step. And so you always wonder how much credit belongs to the previous coach. Like I've talked about this before as a Red Sox fan, when they finally broke the curse and won the World Series in 2004, and the current GM at the time, Theo Epstein, got all the credit, and everybody kind of ignored Dan Duquette, the previous GM, who was fired when a lot of those players were Duquette's guys. And so you wonder, you know, how much credit does that first guy deserve for kind of building the foundation? How much credit do you give to the guy that came in that were then able to put the finishing touches? 
on the team able to elevate them to win that championship? Because they were not winning championships under Mark Jackson. They lost in the first round his final year there, and that was a disappointment. And then Kerr came in, and all of a sudden, right, they became a, the best dynasty we've had. So how much credit do you give to Mark Jackson for the development and getting them at least in a situation where that could be the next step? And how much credit do you give to a Steve Kerr for being able to get them over the top and take them to that next step to now where they are winning all sorts of championships? Uh, it's a fair question and conversation, but I think a lot of people actually hold that as a negative against Mark, Jack- Mark Jackson. Like, yeah, as soon as he left, now they became the best team in the league. So was he holding them back? But it is interesting that, you know, he's kept his, obviously, his name in the game. It's like a, a lot with John Gruden when Gruden was working on Monday Night Football. And every time an opening occurred in the NFL, you would always hear Gruden's name. And Gruden actually won a Super Bowl. Mark Jackson didn't win a championship. But I think by being on Monday Night Football, he was just, he was around the game. He was always in front of your face. His name was in your mouth. He was uh, part of the, the sport still and getting attention within the NFL circles. And so you always thought of a Gruden compared to, I don't know, to pick a random name, a Mike Holmgren who went home and was doing nothing around football, and you kind of forgot about him. The idea being, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mark has always stuck around the sport, of course. And uh, like even Van Gundy would get nibbles, and he returned and coached the Rockets a few years after he was done in New York and then went back to broadcasting afterwards. Like even Van Gundy's gotten no longer at this point because it's been so long, but he's gotten some sniffs. Mark Jackson, not so much. I think his name was mentioned was at the Lakers. One gig this offseason uh, uh, talked about him a little bit. But, um, but yeah, really, Mark Jackson uh, doesn't get a whole lot of attention or, or publicity for these open jobs, and uh, I don't know if Charlotte would look that way either. But a fair point brought up about um, you know developing a young team in Golden State. This is a young team in Charlotte. I just don't know if Mark Jackson will get that chance. By the way, Trent, you know, we were talking about Kenny Atkinson bailing before ever really taking the job officially. Have you ever taken a job and then, like, after a week or two said, ah, this isn't really for me and quit uh, very quickly after taking a new job? No, I I don't think I have. I usually, Luke, I try to stick it out at least a month. Now, granted, I haven't had too many jobs, right? I worked at the same place in high school, you know, for my entire high school life, every single summer and the off seasons. Bounced around a couple times when I moved back to Charleston, but I usually I usually give it about a month, but I don't think I've ever quit a job like within a six month period. I, I'll try to extend it, even how awful the job is. You make sure you want to like power through just not only for like the job itself, but for you to see if you can get over those like, you know, learning experiences, if you will. Yeah, it's true. Now, I've worked mostly in sports, so I've never had like a terrible job that I wanted to quit. Uh, but one time I thought it would be cool. To my first job at minor league baseball back when I was in high school was working in the concession stand and I thought it would be cool just being in the stadium and I get to listen to the games and being around the ballpark I obviously love baseball and that job was awful I hated working in the concession stand and I wanted to quit right away but my parents would never let me so I had to stick it out for the whole summer and right. I've told this story before but it became like office space I was trying to get fired because my parents would never <laughs> let me quit and so I'd show up late and I, you're supposed to have your shirt tucked in I would never tuck in the shirt right the name tag would always be in the wrong place and they just didn't care. They, didn't, they wouldn't even yell at me. I never got disciplined, nothing. I was trying to do a bad job, and my coworkers were so bad that I still looked like one of the better ones, even when I was trying to fail. And I never got fired. And I ended up working the whole summer there, and I hated it. <laughs> but my parents back then, because, uh, you know, I was a kid in high school living at home, they would not let me quit my summer job, and so I made it through. But never have I been in this position where, uh, you know, I take a job, and two days in you realize, like, yeah, this kind of stinks, and don't come back. I tried. I wasn't allowed to. Uh, We'll wrap up hour one when we come back.
hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston across from Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue. Come see us out here for a Donor Appreciation Week. We'll wrap up our one next. It's the Mormon Day Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Hour one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio, hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston, across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue for Donor Appreciation Week. We'll be talking about it throughout the afternoon. Come out, donate plasma. You get $100 for just doing it the first time. Plus, because it's Donor Appreciation Week, they're giving away all sorts of prizes this week. You could have a chance to win some cool stuff this week here at CSL Plasma all week long as part of Donor Appreciation Week. Uh, fan talk with Bobby will be out here on Wednesday. We'll be at the other location on Thursday. Some of the uh, Stingray players will be here on Wednesday. So a lot going on this week for CSL Plasma and their uh, Donor Appreciation Week. Uh, before we wrap up our one, I saw this yesterday for Father's Day that USC football held Father's Day breakfast on center court of the uh, Staples Center, the Lakers arena, as part of uh, their recruiting. Right, So they brought out the fathers and the recruits and the families out onto the floor at Staples Center for Father's Day breakfast. Pretty good. Right, if I'm a father, I don't know if normally I want to spend Father's Day on some sort of like recruiting trip, even if I live in the area. That is pretty nice when it's breakfast on the floor of the Staples Center. They know what they're doing out there. USC with Lincoln Riley, they're spending money, uh, taking advantage of transfer portal, NIL, everything else. And the Staples Center as well. That's why if you're a Lincoln, you leave Oklahoma to go to L.A. Because you can use the Lakers to help in your recruiting instead of anything. They don't have anything like that in Oklahoma. Hour 2 coming up next as we hang out here at CSL Plasma in North Charleston for Donor Appreciation Week. It's the Morning Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Two of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll talk about the uh, College World Series, the SEC, and compare it to SEC football. Shane Beamer has uh, been talking to the folks of Reddit today. We'll get to, to a little bit of that later on as well. Obviously, Trent's takes coming up. We'll talk with George Teague an hour from now, former Dallas Cowboy. We've got plenty to do throughout this afternoon. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page, and you can find the podcast there. 
And don't forget, you can always get in touch with the show. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com, click on our show page, and leave a comment for the show there. Plus, get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can always give us a call, 843-721-9500. Hanging out at CSL Plasma today for their Donor Appreciation Week. We're at the location across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue. As mentioned, Donor Appreciation Week, so all week long. If you come and you donate plasma, if you've never done it before, uh, you'll walk out of here with 100 bucks the first time, and then also... All sorts of different prizes or the chance to win all sorts of different things all week long here for Donor Appreciation Week. They're giving away fire sticks and tablets, a TV, extra money, grocery coupons as well. So all sorts of great stuff. Come see us here as we hang out today at CSL Plasma. Fan Talk with Bobby will be here Wednesday. I'll be at the other location on Thursday this week. So a lot going on for Donor Appreciation Week. In fact, we're pleased to be joined now by the uh, center manager here for CSL Plasma, here at uh, this location, 7800 Rivers Avenue, as Lorenzo Bowser is with us. Lorenzo, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Nice to be with you, man. We certainly appreciate you coming out to help us out. Yeah, it's our pleasure to be out here. Now, this, of course, is the start of Donor Appreciation Week, and already it seems like things are going pretty well with how uh, busy you guys have been today. It is. We're extremely excited about it. Uh, right now, we are busting loose, and that's exactly what we need right now. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know there's, a, there's a, a shortage for a lot of different things in this country. I imagine there's always a need for people to donate plasma as well to try to help out others. Absolutely. Right now we're still trying to uh, come out of this uh, COVID shortage. Um, and, uh, you know, even though, uh, uh, you know, we have the inflation and everything else that's going on and there's, you know, shortages here and there, that plasma is extremely important for us to get so we can make the medications for, you know, 40 or so million people worldwide. So, Yeah, and you mentioned inflation, which is great for, for those that want to donate plasma because I know, you know like times are tough right now for everybody. Prices are going up for everything, the grocery store. But for those that are trying to plan summer vacations, you got kids going to college, or you're just looking for some extra bucks on the side because living expenses are increasing, this is an easy way to not only help a lot of people out, but you come here, you donate some plasma, and you get something out of it as well. Absolutely. Um, we... You know, obviously, we want to push the humanitarian nature of uh, plasma donation, uh, you know, the uh, fact that it is important in saving lives. However, um, unlike uh, red blood donation or whole blood donation, we uh, there is a financial component to that, and that is for your time. So the time that it takes you to come in and uh, spend donating, we do want to compensate you for that. And as you said, um, the compensation is, is, is pretty good. So, you know. $825 on a month. I mean, that's somebody's house payment, man. Yeah, right, absolutely. You can come, what, twice oh, uh, twice within seven days? Yes, twice on, twice within seven days as long as there's one day in between. Okay. Yep. Yes, sir. So, so, yeah, so you can come and, and donate plasma more frequently over the course of a month than maybe, uh, you know, a blood donation or some of the other things that people have done in the past. They hear plasma donation, and it probably sounds a lot more, like, intrusive or maybe even scary than it, than it really is. I've done it now a couple times, so this isn't just me you know, uh, uh, blowing smoke here. I donated plasma a year ago. I did it on Friday. Um, it's a very uh, pretty simple process, obviously very safe. There's nothing to be uh, afraid of. Um, without getting too, like, scientific, there's not much of a difference between, from, from the person perspective, not much of a difference between donating blood and actually sitting here donating plasma. There, there isn't much difference. Um, they call it a blood donation uh, when you donate for the Red Cross, et cetera because they're taking what we call whole blood. So exactly what comes out of your vein is what they put into a bag. Here, uh, when we do plasma donation, we are taking 
the liquid portion of the blood. So we're taking everything but your red cells. So red cells take 50, uh, what is it, 56 days to regenerate. So that's why you can only donate um, at the Red Cross once, a m- uh. once every two months for plasma donation. It regenerates every 24, 48 hours. So we can, uh, you know, you can donate twice within that seven-day period. Yeah, that's interesting. And for those that are listening that may have their interest peaked, when you come out and you donate plasma, I know you guys suggest with drinking water before to, to be prepared. Absolutely. Absolutely. You should be very hydrated. Um, beer does not count, um, <laughs> but um, you definitely want to drink, um, you know, drink uh, water prior to donating, you know, at least a day or two prior. Um, you know, you want to stay away from like caffeinated um, drinks and things of that nature. It just makes the process much easier. Yes, sir. Yeah, and when I donate, I know I was afraid just because I can be neurotic. I was afraid when I donated plasma last year of, like, passing out afterwards. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be the guy that got up from the table and hit the deck in there with everybody else. Right, right. But, but no, the, the times I've done it, no issues afterwards either. Uh, just, you know, of course, make sure you hydrate afterwards as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's, um, that's one of the reasons why they give you, um, what is it, 500 milliliters of saline or whatnot, mm-hmm. just to replace some of that volume that you lost. Um, because, you know, your, your circulatory system is uh, – just like a um, any kind of other, you know, pump action system. So when you lose uh, pressure in it from taking the fluid out, it'll make you lightheaded. So we give that back to make sure that you don't go through that. Yeah, yeah. So, so far, I've been just fine afterwards. And uh, you awesome. guys, you have a great staff here that has taken care of me. The other thing I love about this that that doesn't really get mentioned is that when people come to donate plasma, to make sure that they're able to do so you put them through a physical absolutely so for those at home that are thinking about it that's another perk that you come here and not only do you donate plasma you get a little bit of a a free physical out of it as well absolutely um the physical uh, of course is non-invasive so you know head ears eyes nose throat you know they go through all of the medical history questions it is pretty thorough yeah um but the other thing as well is that um every time a person donates we test for a plethora of things and that testing is done down at the DNA level so it's not uh, your run-of-the-mill test you know people hear PCR testing mm-hmm. for COVID and such right. that's exactly what we do here is a polymerase chain reaction or PCR testing so um, you know so that the plasma supply is clean we know that the people are okay to go and uh, so that our patients receive uh, you know quality product yeah yeah mm-hmm. so all, all sorts of different perks and benefits if you donate plasma of course you're helping others out that's the most important part mm-hmm. but you also uh, get some some help financially from it you get a physically make sure things are okay medically for yourself as well but let's talk about it's donor appreciation week so let me help you pump up some of the things you have going on this week because not only do you get the normal payment when you donate plasma but also this week because it's donor appreciation week you guys have all sorts of different things like uh, a tv tablets you're giving away the opportunity uh, for people to win all sorts of other things this week as well. Absolutely. Um, there are, you know, every day 10 people will be selected to receive an extra $25 uh, bonus uh, after their donation. Um, three people Monday, Wednesday, and Friday will um, each receive an extra $150 uh, bonus as well. Um, as you said before, I'm giving out um, tons of uh, $25 uh, grocery coupons to kind of help uh alleviate some of that uh, inflation stress. Um, there are tons of um, electronic prizes we're giving out, you know, Echo Dots and JBL speakers, things of that nature. And um, and there's several other things that I can't even remember right at the time, but um, we've, we've got it going on here. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Fire sticks, tablets, indeed, TV. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, you got all sorts of stuff going on this week. So 
Uh, if you're listening, you've been thinking about it, come out, donate plasma here at CSL Plasma at 7800 Rivers Avenue. Uh, last thing for you, maybe it just wasn't on my radar. I've just started to hear about plasma the last couple of years. Is this something that's been going on, these, these types of places, donating plasma for a long time, or is this something that's been more, more modern, more new? Well, plasma donation has been around. Plasma donation has been around since you know World War II. Um, the problem is, is that it um, always used to have a kind of a negative stigma um, with it. Um, in more recent times, people are recognizing uh, the need for plasma donation because um, there are so many medications that are uh, manufactured from it now. So that stigma has has gone away. And uh, as I said before, you know, the supply right now, especially in the United States, is extremely low. So um, we are trying to do everything that we possibly can to push to um, increase that supply um, for the United States and as well as uh, across the world. Yes, yeah, so come out and try to help as well here at CSL Plasma's Donor Appreciation Week. So it's going on. We just started the week here. It's going on all week long. We're at this location here across from Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue, where Lorenzo is the center manager. But you also have the other location also here in North Charleston at uh, 3725, 3725 Rivers Avenue as well. And uh, there's uh, different giveaways, as we touched on, all week long. You earn $100 the first time. You can get up to $800 for, for the first month of donating plasma. Tell them that you, you heard uh, us talking about it here on ESPN Radio. Come see Lorenzo and tell him you heard him talking on the radio as well. Lorenzo, uh, appreciate the time from you. And uh, wish you the best. Thanks for having us out here as well uh, today. I know I'll be back out here or at the other location later on this week. Bobby will be here on Wednesday. So appreciate you guys having us. And uh, best of luck here all week with uh, Donor Appreciation Week. Absolutely. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you again, Luke. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, Lorenzo, the center manager, come see him. Tell him you heard him on the radio. Compliment him for his work here joining us on the Morrow Midday Show. And come donate some plasma. To not only get yourself some money, you get a physical out of it, and you get a chance to win some really cool gifts as well and giveaways here for Donor Appreciation Week going on all week long. The week just started. It's going on to the end of the week. They have two different locations here in North Charleston. And, uh, again, uh, I may be shilling, but I actually went through it. Not Jeremy shilling. I actually went through it uh, myself on Friday, and it's not the first time I donated plasma, and it's very simple. Uh, The first time you come, it's going to take a little bit longer than all the other times you were to come and donate plasma just to make sure, you know, you get uh, all your information and you're good to go. They're very thorough. They give you a physical. Uh, they, they test the blood first to make sure you're good. They make sure your protein levels, your iron levels, all that sort of stuff is good. You're hydrated. So it's just it's nice also for that peace of mind. If you haven't been to the doctor in a while, you're concerned about some things, this is almost serves as a quasi-doctor uh, uh, checkup. Uh, they'll do the um, important stuff for the physical, make sure everything's okay with you. And then you go donate some plasma. You listen to a podcast. You watch a movie on your phone. You walk out with 100 bucks. And this week, potentially some other cool prizes as well. And bonus cash if you mention that you heard about CSL Plasma here on ESPN Radio. So come out and see us here at CSL Plasma in North Charleston. Coming up, uh, some thoughts on the College World Series and uh, how it relates to the SEC football as well. And we'll get into some other things throughout the afternoon. Hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston for their Donor Appreciation Week. Come see us. It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio, hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston. We're outside today because it's beautiful. Uh, I heard I wasn't outside early enough this morning, but I heard it was even nicer this morning. It was in the low 60s. Now we're looking at about 86 degrees today. It's comfortable. We're in the shade. It's beautiful here at CSL Plasma at 7800 Rivers Avenue across from Northwoods Mall. So you can come out, do a little shopping, donate some plasma as well, and you'll walk out of here on site. Right, Money paid immediately. You walk out with $100 when you donate plasma for the first time. So come see them. It's not as scary as it may sound. I've done it a couple times now. And it's Donor Appreciation Week. How about this? I had no idea. When I donated last year around this time, I was entered apparently as well. I want a Bluetooth speaker, and I had no idea. I was never told. So when I came last week, it was uh, in my profile that I was the winner of a Bluetooth speaker from a year ago. But uh, I guess the time they didn't have the Bluetooth speaker anymore. They figured if he hasn't come back in a year, we're giving this thing away to somebody else. So I missed out on the Bluetooth speaker. That's okay. I got enough. Bluetooth speakers nowadays have become the type of thing where, you know, like back in the day, it used to be the TV, and people, when they first got, started getting, like, flat-screen TVs, and that was a big deal. And now, TVs are so cheap, you can have one in every room of the house. They're all those flat screens. You can put them up on the wall. Back in the day, it was a big deal. And, like, when you had, like, wow, two flat-screen TVs, that was a big thing. Or just a big-screen TV. Back when you had those big, bulky, big-screen TVs that used to have to be on wheels because they were so big. You couldn't carry them. You'd have to wheel them around, right? And that was a big deal. Like, oh, they have two TVs in the house or two in the living room. And now, I mean, you got a TV in the kitchen, in every bedroom. The house I grew up in, by the time uh, my parents sold that house, there was like 10 TVs around the place, right? Because TVs became so cheap. It's similar with these Bluetooth speakers as well. Uh, I got uh, one for every room in the house now. Bluetooth speakers. They become so common and affordable, and everybody has them. And you get them at golf tournaments. I'm not even talking about, like, the smart speakers, just a regular Bluetooth. You connect it to your phone. You play music on the beach or at the pool. Ah, got all those all over the place. But I missed out on another one, apparently. Hey, happy Father's Day yesterday. You know, um, if you are a father, if you still have your father around, hopefully you celebrated and did something uh, special for Father's Day. And if, uh, unfortunately, your father's no longer with you, I think of, uh, I think of those as well because that's always tough. You know, baseball is interesting. I say this all the time. Sports in general, they always lead to these cool moments. And over the weekend, it wasn't related to Father's Day. There were a couple yesterday. I get to those in a, in, a, in a moment. But there was also the story of Francisco Lindor, who plays for the Mets. His mother was watching him. Uh, she came from, um, I should have looked this up before. She lives in another country. And she was watching Francisco Lindor play for the Mets for the first time since he went to New York. And in his first at-bat Friday night, he hit a home run. First time he was batting, at least with the Mets. Not necessarily Major League Baseball. He played for the Indians, or the, the former Indians for a long time. He played for Cleveland. But, you know, it's just funny how it works out. First at-bat, when his mother was in attendance, he hits a homer Friday. Homered again, I think it was Saturday. Hit a couple homers this weekend. And his manager, Buck Showalter, joked about how he doesn't want Lindor's mother to leave. You know, can we get her apartment here in New York? He plays great when she's around. And I always say it's it's amazing. Maybe it's just a coincidence, and we don't hear you don't hear about the stories when it doesn't happen. A lot of times, athletes play with either their parents in attendance, 
or they'll be playing with a heavy heart because of something going on, and if they go 0 for 4, you don't hear about it or think about it as much as when somebody does do something special. So maybe it's a case like that, where I always say the same idea with plane crashes. People think flying is so unsafe because you never hear about all the safe flights people have had. The plane's landing without an issue. You only hear about when there's a problem. But statistically, I'll reiterate that it's statistically safer to fly than it is to drive based off of the data over the years. But because you hear because you hear of only the horrific things, right, you think it's terrible. So same idea here, except maybe the opposite. We only hear about these great stories, so we think that it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing how often it happens. But I say all that because yesterday's Father's Day. There's a couple of things that stood out in the baseball world yesterday on Father's Day. There was Hunter Renfro, who um, plays for the Brewers now. His father passed away, uh, I believe, from cancer within the last year, since last Father's Day. This was the first Father's Day for Hunter Renfro without his father, which I'm fortunate enough to still have my parents. Right? If you've lost one or both of your parents, uh, I, I can only imagine how tough it is, especially on a day like yesterday when you're supposed to be celebrating them and you think about them instead. So I think of you on a day like that when you can't even pick up the phone and uh, you know, call your loved ones on their special day just to say hello, just to BS with them for a little bit on Father's Day or on Mother's Day when that comes around or whatever, on their birthday. Anyways, long story short, Hunter Renfro homered yesterday in the first Father's Day without his father. And it was an emotional thing. It was cool to see. It was a great you know, touching at bat and story. And it's just amazing how often that happens. Another one was a rookie for the Pirates yesterday. Hit three home runs, including the walk-off, with his father in attendance. So the first Father's Day of this guy being in the big leagues, father in attendance, right, his first Father's Day, celebrating by watching his son in the big leagues, and he hits three homers yesterday, including the walk-off winner for Pittsburgh. And it's just uh, it's, it's crazy. They're always great stories. It's amazing how often it happens. Uh, Jack Sawinski was his name for Pittsburgh. You think of Brett Favre after his father passed away and then went out on uh, Monday Night Football and you know, threw for four touchdowns in the first half against the Raiders. And I tell the story of Michael Lorenzen, who was a relief pitcher for the Reds, and his father passed away during the season. This was going back a couple years ago. And in his first at-bat, he's a relief pitcher. How often do relief pitchers get to bat in a game? Now never because we have the DH. But in his first at-bat after his father passed, he hit a home run, a relief pitcher. We know the story about the Marlins when, unfortunately, um, Jose Fernandez passed away in that boating accident. And then the very first pitch, D. Gordon homers while, like, wearing his number the next game. It's amazing how often we get these stories of whether it's Father's Day, right, it's a happy thing. Like Ken Griffey, uh, it was Ken Griffey Jr., right, on Father's Day hit a, hit a, what was it, his 500th home run with his father in attendance. We get the sad stories as well when, unfortunately, someone lost a loved one and they come out and they do something great the very next game. And then we get these happy stories. We have a rookie in Pittsburgh playing in front of his father for the first time on Father's Day in the big leagues, and he hits a walk-off home run yesterday. Now, as I said, leading into these anecdotes from the baseball weekend, I'm sure a lot of guys played in front of their fathers yesterday that, again, went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, so you don't hear about those. But it's always great to hear these stories of the positives when somebody does something special in front of their parent. Now, yesterday being Father's Day, couple of uh, questions off of that. And, Trent, I bring you into the conversation. We'll get to Trent's takes coming up in just a few moments. But let me get your take on a couple different things. Number one, in regards to performing yesterday with the father in attendance on Father's Day, you played sports growing up, of course. Did you feel like you did better when your parents were there? Or was there ever a case where they were running late, they missed a game, and you seemed to play your best when they weren't around? 
Uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe for for different sports. Like I think for track and field, if my parents were in attendance, I did much better just because I can get some outside knowledge, you know, for the high jump from my father who did the same thing. But, uh, you know, my parents, Lou, kind of similar to yours, they never really missed anything, whether it was, you know, a football game, a practice. They always one of them always seemed to be there, but they weren't at a couple football games sometimes. And I, I don't know, I would say if I played better with them, it's not really a thought in my mind because I have phenomenal parents. So they always show up. But I would say track. I do a little bit better when they were there just to get some, you know, extra perspective on what's going on. Yeah, it makes sense. But you always hear these stories of, of like, the father showing up late and right. the other parents saying, you won't believe it, Billy just hit a home run. Like, the parents always <laughs> seem to miss big moments. And I think a lot of it is that uh, certain kids may feel pressure when their parents are there, and the parents may put some pressure on the kids to perform well. And so sometimes you get kids that play better if, like, the parents happen to be running late or they can't make it to a game. They have their career game. I'm with you. I never had uh, some sort of, like, bad experience. Uh, and my parents did always make – my dad was usually coaching me. So my parents uh, were always there at the sporting events. I do remember one time they may have had a wedding. I don't know. They weren't at a basketball game when I was uh, growing up, and I had, like, my career performance. So maybe I'm one of those kids <laughs> that I was just talking about that seems to do better when their parents weren't around. That's the only time I can remember my parents actually missing a game, and I did anything noteworthy. But growing up, playing soccer, I remember I always uh, played my best when my godmother was in attendance. Mm. So, you know, as a kid, I used to want to show out when the godmother would show up. I used to have to play well. And I would actually play better when there are more family members there. But, um, yeah, I didn't have any sort of uh, one way or another have some sort of strong connection to performing well or not, whether my parents were there. I never felt some sort of pressure. It's different nowadays. My parents were always there. Trent's parents were were there. Hopefully, if you grew up playing sports, you know, you had supportive parents as well. Um, But way back, if you're of a certain age – I'm sure you can think back to when you were playing sports. My father played. I always reference he played basketball professionally. I think uh, he tells the story. I think his parents went to, like, one of his games. Uh, <laughs> it was just different back then. When, you know, they were working, they had other things to do. They were getting the house taken care of, and kids went off and did the sports. And, you know, the parents didn't go to all the practices and all the games. Now parents are at all the games and practices, and it's great. The other thing I had, the other question, yesterday was Father's Day. As you celebrate your father on Father's Day, do you does the Corville family go big or is it just hey dad just wants a day of doing nothing and you know you don't even have to get the guy a card it's just his day to do whatever he wants how do you celebrate Father's Day well Luke this this Father's Day was a tad bit different uh, my my dad was actually uh, coaching out in uh, Rock Hill for a uh, for the uh, state track meet uh, that goes on for the uh, USATF so he wasn't really around until about six o'clock, you know, on Sunday afternoon, but it's a typical Father's Day stuff. You know, he got home, we just cut on the U.S. Open, got a, you know, golf net in the back, hit a couple shots. But besides that, Luke, we usually, if my dad was here for Father's Day, like for the whole day, it would normally be like, we'll go to brunch or something and then he'll just, uh, you know, watch golf for the rest of the day. Yeah, I think that's most fathers, which is great. Like the mother, and I'm not saying this is not supposed to be some sort of slight, right? Mother's <laughs> Day, you got got to be special. You got to get flowers. You get the card. You go out for for brunch. You get some gifts. You got to make sure uh, moms feels loved on Mother's Day. Father's Day, they just typically want to be left alone and watch the golf on a Sunday. And we would have had Game Seven of the NBA Finals if it went that long, but uh, instead, just uh, you know, you have a major event that's pretty good yesterday as well. But I think that's the big difference. Now I sent a card home. Uh, apparently, never made it. 
but even the card, <laughs> right? Uh, a lot of fathers don't really care uh, about getting a card either. Uh, they just want to be left alone on Father's Day. And I would be the same way. But I think that's the big difference. Uh, fathers are a lot, typically uh, a lot simpler that they just want to be able to sit down and watch the sports. And it's a different holiday than Mother's Day. But regardless, hopefully you celebrated accordingly yesterday and uh, at least reached out if, uh, if you don't live around your parents. Celebrate your mom on Mother's Day, your father on Father's Day as well. Hopefully everybody had a great Father's Day yesterday. Luke, now, uh, real quick, do you play better like if your siblings were uh, in the stands? I feel like that's important sometimes. I, if my brother was in the stands or watching, I feel like I always you know heightened it up just a little bit. You obviously have a couple older brothers, so you know I'm sure that heightens the level of competition to go back to our previous conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I don't even remember if they were at a lot of my games. Being that they were older, they wouldn't have to be dragged. To right. I was at all their games. I, uh, then they were out of the house when I was in high school. So, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think that had an impact. If I was playing with them, absolutely, because they were older, I want to show that, like, I belong. So if we were playing pickup in the driveway against, like, them, I'm playing with them and their friends, i got to try to hold my own. Right. Uh, but in terms of, like, my actual organized sporting games, if they were there, I don't know if my brothers had any impact. I don't know if my parents did. You know, my if we're talking youth sports, so, you know, it's not like I'm bragging <laughs> too much here uh, because I didn't have much of an athletic career. But um, in basketball, whenever we would have to go up against the full-court press, like, I was usually the point guard. Now, my father was usually the coach, and he'd make me the point guard, but he always liked how calm I was against the pressure. So my point being that I don't think I got rattled by whoever was in the crowd. I never really cared. I was always even keel uh, out on the court or field, whatever sport I was playing. So I don't think the somebody in attendance would really threw me off back in the day. Mm. But that was just me. Some people certainly do feel that pressure. And in certain cases, maybe it helps them play even better when the family shows up. Uh, we'll get to Trent Stakes when we come back. We're hanging out out here at CSL Plasma in North Charleston as part of their Donor Appreciation Week. 7800 Rivers Avenue across from Northwoods Mall. Come check them out. Donate plasma, help others, and help yourself out as well because you'll be getting uh, some money when you donate plasma and potentially winning some gifts this week for Donor Appreciation Week. We'll talk more about that throughout the afternoon. It's the Mara Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Midday show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, we're hanging out at uh, CSL Plasma for their Donor Appreciation Week. We're at the location. They have two locations in North Charleston, and we're at the one across from Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue. Come out, donate plasma, get some money for it, and a chance to win some cool prizes as well. We'll continue to uh, pump that up throughout the afternoon here as we're hanging out out here. We'll be out here. On Thursday, Bobby will be here on Wednesday, so you'll hear plenty all week long about CSL and donating plasma. It's safe, it's easy, you get money for it as well, and this week some cool prizes. But in the meantime, while we hang out out here, we do it around this time each and every day. It's time to find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes.
What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's okay. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, a great Father's Day weekend wrapped up with a great final round of the U.S. Open. Now, I will say, obviously, on this show, we like to be very honest, Luke. You know, you'll say when you're right, you'll say when you're wrong. I have to right my wrongs here because I gave out three picks for the U.S. Open that I thought would be beneficial to the listeners. I gave out Cam Smith at plus 2,000, Dustin Johnson at plus 4,000, and Brooks Kepka at plus 5,000. All of those bets didn't hit whatsoever. It was a very poor U.S. Open weekend for myself, but I will say, Luke Morrow, I did live bet Will Zalatoris before his final round and I really thought it was coming together for Will, but the putter let him down. And that's a big thing for Zalatoris. I know he's super young. It's crazy to me that he can be so thin and not have a ton of muscle and still absolutely crush the ball. It's beautiful to see as a skinny man who's trying to get better at golf to see how much I can, you know, how far I can hit the ball. Obviously, he's a professional. It's a lot different, but I really feel bad for the guy. There's been so many times, obviously, when he burst on the scene and almost won the Masters a couple years back. All of these majors, Luke Morrow, Will Zalatoris is in contention, and he can't get it done. I really like the guy. I think he's very good for golf. I hope that he can get over that hump because, you know, there's a lot of guys out there like Lee Westwood, a couple other guys come to name that they get so close every single major, every single tournament. They can win the small ones, but they can never win the big ones. I'm a big Willie Z guy. I'll continue to back him throughout these major championships because I do believe he has the talent to win one. But, man, every single week after week after week, Luke Morrow, this guy falls short. Yeah, it's brutal. He's being compared to the Buffalo Bills of the golf world, so that's not a good thing coming up short. I think he's four strokes from having three major victories yeah. already. So, yeah, he's been close. I'm a big Will Zalatoris guy as well because Jeremy Schilling was pumping him up on the Morrow Midday Show really before he became mainstream. And so, therefore, just because it was on our show, I take credit for it as well. So I'm a big Zalatoris guy, but unfortunately couldn't get it done. In regards to the uh, – golf picks it is so hard to try to pick a winner so you just got to try to spray it around pick as many guys as you can and hope you, you strike gold <laughs> so you did well with the nba finals don't feel bad about not picking a winner yesterday it's so hard to try to pick the exact winner in these golf events yeah luke no doubt about it hey we're on to football season i'm already That's getting right. i'm already breaking it down getting up matchups ready to go because i want to have the most successful football season that this radio station has ever seen Luke Morrow, and that's a team thing. You and I are going to do this together, Luke. That's how it's going to get done to be the best, you know, uh, pickers, if you would say, in the office because I know everybody really enjoys picking games, but we will be the best. There's no doubt about it. Now, Luke Morrow, the Tampa Bay Lightning really let me down on Saturday night. They really did. 7-0 wasn't even close. There's only one big takeaway from that game obviously tonight game three of the stanley cup finals in tampa i believe i just checked and tampa is favored in this one so potentially some home uh, some home ice favoritism uh, should be good for the lightning i'm not giving up on them again even though colorado really took it to them i was being told you know throughout this entire playoffs from some of these pundits luke morrow that the goalie for uh, for Tampa Bay, he's got the silkiest mitts in all the land. Well, I guess that wasn't the case on uh, Saturday night, losing to 7-0. But I will say, I don't know if you saw the clip, Luke, and a lot of people are talking about this. Scott Van Pelt talked about it. A couple podcasts have talked about it. And I absolutely love it. And it is a big question. 
Why did American sports fans get away from singing songs together? There was a song that was played at the Colorado Avalanche game, and I don't know, they might have 15, 20,000 people packed deep in that arena. They were playing a Blink-182 song. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but it was absolutely incredible to watch, and I think that's why people enjoy watching the uh, EPL because the entire time songs are being sang. Luke, why did we get away from that as a society? Like you remember uh, last year when Michigan beat Ohio State, the entire 115,000 people were singing Mr. Brightside. I mean, it was the coolest thing ever. Why as American sports fans do we not want to sing together, Luke Morrow? I think it's an abomination. We should all start singing. It brings a come togetherness when you're at these kind of games. Yeah, it's true. It's a fair question. I like it. Um, as a Red Sox fan, you know, they always sing Sweet Caroline in the middle of the eighth inning, which when the team's doing well, it's fun. When they're down 10 nothing, I think it's a weird <laughs> song to sing in that spot. But it's still fun. It's a, it's a thing people look forward to at Fenway. And I'll also say, when I went to Wrigley Field, same idea. Uh, the Cub, They're singing the whole time, the Cubs fans. And it's just a great environment, and it feels more like a community. And, you know, you're hugging the people next to you. So I'm with you. I'm all for the, the singing. You know, at Wrigley, and the Cubs were good at the time, but, like, they didn't even care what was going on in the field. People were just having a good time. They're drinking. They're singing. You're hanging out. So I'm with you. I think it makes for a fun uh, experience, and it increases the environment. And the community feel when everyone's just singing together like you're at the pub, having a good time. So I'm all for singing songs at sporting events. Yeah, we need to make that uh, more normalized, especially in college football. You know, I love when uh, when LSU, even though they get fined every time they do it, when they sing Neck, it's absolutely incredible. I love it wholeheartedly. They should do it every single time. There's a Tiger home game, especially at night. And Odo Beckham Jr. will cover the fine. So you're good to go. He said, <laughs> just he literally tweeted out and said every single week, if y'all want to sing this, I will cover the fine. It's like 20000 bucks if the band plays it. So Jeez. I hope it happens a lot more. Now, speaking of baseball, Luke, we're getting into that time of the year, and I need some things to watch. But I will say, unlike a couple people, yourself and you have the Red Sox, Bobby has the Braves. I don't have a major league team that I have an allegiance to. Now, my father is a Houston Astros fan, so he's from Houston, so it makes sense that he's a Houston Astros fan. But I want to pick a team, Luke Morrow. I want to pick a team to ride behind to get into Major League Baseball because I'm always usually in it with the playoffs. So I've got a couple teams to throw at you, and you tell me, Luke Morrow, because I'm not going to make my decision yet. I'm going to make it sometime this week, and I will be an insufferable fan for whatever team that I choose. I'm thinking about the Sox, and I'm thinking about the Braves, obviously, for the shows that I work on. But I would say, Luke, and I, out of these three, you pick which one will probably be the best one to ha you know be a fan of. I've got the San Francisco Giants, the Chicago White Sox, and the New York Yankees. Which one should I hop on? I don't want to. The only thing about the Yankees is so I can play the heel to you and Bobby. That would be the only <laughs> reason why I picked them. I don't want to pick them, but they're in my top three. Luke, which one do you think I can hop on and uh, we might have a good run outside of the Yankees? Because I might just do that for the heel factor. Yeah, well, I think Bobby used to be a Yankee fan, so I don't know. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe he'll appreciate it. He jumped around. Um, I think clearly the Giants. I don't think the White Sox are very likable, probably in large part because of Tony La Russa. He's just hard to root for. He's a bit of a doofus at this point, and, uh, I mean, he's had his own issues off the field in the past. I just don't think Chicago comes off the White Sox as very lovable. Okay. Uh, the Yankees, of course, I mean, that's the easy one if you want to try to root for a winner this year. They're so good, but – 
for the Evil Empire. The Giants are fun because San Francisco, they're a team that nobody was expecting much out of a year ago. They won over 100 games. They're having a good game, a good season this year. You got Gabe Kapler, who was run out of town in Philadelphia, managing the team. Everybody thought, you know, he was a bit of a bust. And I like that they're in the, the shadow of the Dodgers, that you don't really pay attention to the Giants. So they're a little bit of an underdog. They're good. They got a good lineup, some good pieces. Gabe Kapler is trying to prove a lot of people wrong. So if those three thing, if those three teams, I think it should certainly be the Giants. Okay, so I will I will note that Luke Morrow, and I believe tomorrow I will have my official decision, and potentially will be hopping on the San Francisco Giants bandwagon. You know, because some of their players getting smacked in the face for fantasy football leagues. I don't That's like right. it. I might hop on that team, Luke, and I'm going to be very insufferable. Sorry to everybody, but I'm going to hop on it, learn all about the players, and get ready to go. Now, speaking of some allegiances to teams, Luke Morrow, you know I'm a big Miami Heat fan, and some news came down the pipe this morning that none other then Kyrie Irving will potentially be on the move and going elsewhere, leaving the Brooklyn Nets. Now, what does this mean for Kevin Durant? He could potentially be on the move as well if they don't like what the organization is doing from a basketball standpoint. But Luke Lamar, let me say this. Right now, we can clip it. We can save it for next NBA season. I'm ready to go. Kyrie Irving is going to get traded to the Miami Heat for Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, and a draft pick. He's going to come to Miami. Luke, I don't need him for the regular season. I don't need it. I don't need it at all. You come for the playoffs, and the Miami Heat will be in the NBA Finals in 2023. You can mark that that down right now because Kyrie Irving will be joining the Heat. There's videos surfacing on Twitter, and maybe just because my algorithm is kind of towards the Heat, always has had favorable things to say about Miami, loves the team, loves Jimmy Butler, loves Bam Adebayo. Think about that three-piece right there, Luke. Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. In my eyes, all I see is a golden trophy, Luke Morrow. So you would be pro bringing Kyrie Irving in? 1,000%. And like I said, I play 30 games in the regular season for all I care. I just need you healthy, ready to go for the playoffs to join this team because we needed one more piece, Luke. We needed a scoring option. Obviously, Jimmy Butler can't put up 40 points every single night, and if Bam Adebayo's not going to be hitting shots, we need. And Tyler Heroes, you know, mulling around on the bench, playing 20 minutes, scoring five points. I need a different scorer, even though we're paying all those guys, you know, 200-plus million dollars. I need another scorer. Pay the man whatever he wants. Get Kyrie Irving to the Miami Heat. I love Kyrie. I'm a big Kyrie guy. I think he's incredibly talented. Um, obviously the concern is just the last couple of places he's been, things really haven't worked out. In fact, things have only worked out from a team perspective when he was with LeBron. So maybe if you get him to Miami, maybe Jimmy Butler could be that guy that could help, you know, keep him in check or just that heat culture we always hear about and Pat Riley and Spolstra. Maybe that's what it would take to keep Kyrie in line for lack of a better term. But the guy is clearly incredibly talented. If you can get him on the floor and if he can get along with his teammates, actually playing the games, uh, he's one of the best scorers at his size that we've ever had but i would just be concerned about how well things would go i would love to have that talent on my team i don't know if it would help me win a championship or make the team better and i've also seen the rumors about it would be so new york knicks to go all in (laughs) and make a move for Kyrie, and then he'd be the only star in the team and he plays like 30 games next year and it's just a disaster and it blows up in their face but i've seen plenty of the knicks rumors as well and it'd be classic Knicks to try to do something like that, and it, it goes completely wrong. Kyrie in Miami, because of the heat culture, could be interesting. Maybe it works there. 
Yeah, I mean, I might be, you know, being a hopeful fan here, but I, I just need one more piece, Luke. That's it, because Hero and Robinson and Lowry weren't giving it to me. If I can get a guy, especially in the playoffs, who will give me at least 20, because Jimmy will give you 30, Bam will give you 15. If I can get a guy that at least 20 at a high percentage rate like Kyrie Irving does, because I know all the off-court stuff is very difficult for people to, you know, wipe out of their mind. But take that out for a second. Like you were just saying, Luke, he's one of the most talented NBA players we've ever had in the league. There's there's no doubt about it, from especially from a scoring perspective. If he's on that team, Eric Spolstra, you know, whips him into shape a little bit, I think this team can go all the way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see what, Ky- what happens with Kyrie this offseason because of that report. This morning about being at an impasse with Brooklyn, shocker there, uh, not getting along with, uh, with the Nets front office. So we'll see what happens with Kyrie Irving. This free agent, you know, what's interesting about the NBA is typically the most exciting part of the NBA is when you're looking forward towards the offseason and what type of free agents are coming up. And we haven't heard a ton about this offseason because there aren't a lot of big names. I mean, Harden could potentially become available. Obviously, Kyrie could be, but there's not really a big offseason. Uh, so... It's usually the big draw in the NBA. All you hear about, even when the season's going on, is about the upcoming offseason. Not so much the case this year because it's a bit of a weaker class, but maybe Kyrie will be the big fish here this offseason. In fact, I remember when I think it was Derek Fisher was introduced as head coach of the Knicks, and at his introductory press conference, he was talking about getting Durant to come to the Knicks, I think it was uh, when he was going to be a free agent three years from then. And that's always been the problem to me with the NBA. He's always just looking ahead to the stars and when they become available instead of focusing on the here and now. The Knicks introduced a new coach. He's talking about what he may be able to do with a player three years down the road. But this year a little bit different just because we don't have all these big names this offseason that there wasn't so much looking ahead. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Kyrie this offseason nonetheless. Uh, we'll wrap up our two when we come back. We're hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue for their Donor Appreciation Week. Come donate plasma, get some money for it, and have a chance to win some cool prizes as well. And if you come see us, say hello and donate plasma. We'll uh, give you some River Dogs tickets as well. CSL Plasma across from Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue in North Charleston. It's the Mar Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio as we're out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue. They have a couple different locations here in North Charleston. We're at this one here today. We'll be at the other location coming up on Thursday. Bobby will be out here Wednesday of this week for Donor Appreciation Week here at CSL Plasma. You could donate plasma to help others and also make money for yourself in the process. You walk out the door with 100 bucks when you come to donate plasma for the first time and you get paid for every visit afterwards. You can make up to $800 a month donating plasma. Hey, Shane Beamer today did um, some sort of chat with, uh, I guess it was a Twitter space. Not Reddit, as I was saying earlier, but it was through the Reddit College Football Twitter. Not a ton of things that, that stood out about Beamer's comments, as you would expect from a coach this time of year. 
Uh, he said a couple of a couple of the quotes. Nobody's going to pick us to win the SEC East. We like having that edge and chip on our shoulder. He also said about Ray Tanner, he's a phenomenal athletic director. Was the quote about his AD? I mean, what do you expect the coach to say about the current AD, who's your boss and the guy that hired you? He also said he made some mistakes putting together his first staff in Columbia. Most notably, probably Mike Bobo. That's the biggest change. And uh, says he loves Sandstorm. 2001 is his favorite Gamecock tradition. There's nothing like a Saturday in Columbia. Some of the quotes standing out about Beamer today. As you would imagine, this time of year, right? He doesn't want to make any headlines. Not a whole lot from Beamer today, but at least that's cool. He's out there doing a Twitter spaces, talking to the people. Hour three coming up next. We'll catch up with former Alabama safety and NFL safety as well, George Teague, when we come back. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. It's hour three of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. As we're out here at CSL Plasma in North Charleston, hanging out at the location at 7800 Rivers Avenue, across from Northwoods Mall for Donor Appreciation Week. Come out and see them, donate plasma, help others, and uh, get some money for yourself, $100 when you donate for the first time here at CSL Plasma. We'll be at the other location Thursday. Bobby will be out here. <coughs> Excuse me. Wednesday for Fan Talk, <clears throat> and uh, come out and see us all week long for Donor Appreciation Week here for CSL Plasma. Hey, if you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast, and the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just head over to our show page, click on the show. You can find the show on demand there. Hey, it's never too soon to start looking ahead to the football season, and joining us now... <clears throat> is a former safety for Alabama and then played in the NFL for a number of years with the Packers and the Cowboys, the Dolphins. George Teague is with us. George, good afternoon. How are you? Man, it's a great day to be live and kicking. Sitting here talking about football myself already. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're happy to have you. Appreciate the time as we look ahead to the season. Let's talk uh, first with the SEC because, of course, you played at Alabama. As we look ahead to the upcoming season, Georgia, of course, the defending national champions, but – as an Alabama alum, do you believe the Crimson Tide should still be the favorites this year in the SEC? I think we're we're definitely pretty strong with the amount of returners we have, some of the transfers that are coming back. I think we definitely have to be, you know, considered to be at the top of the list. I know there's some other schools. That, I mean, Georgia's always going to be strong now. They're doing great things. But Texas A&M is trying to make a big mark um, as well. I mean, I think, I think the SEC is just going to be loaded more than ever um, this year, but I'll be homer for a little while and say uh, <laughs> I'm rolling with my tide. I'm rolling with my tide this year. Yeah, I don't blame you. 
Um, you mentioned Texas A&M. As a guy who, you know, played the sport, played at Alabama, what were your thoughts Did you think it broke the unwritten rules in terms of uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and the war of wor- words that they had here this offseason? Yeah, I was actually disappointed in both of them. You know, uh, I understand that things leak and maybe you, Saban was having a private conversation and things of that nature. So I can understand it a little bit, um, but I just think the way – Coach Fisher came back a little bit in the public arena um, going that direction. I just think we could always handle things a little bit better as, um, well, colleagues, first of all. I know there's some kind of buddies and friends that that should be handled in some kind of way other than the press conference. Um, So I I was kind of shocked at the whole layout of it. And I know Coach Saban's trying to, you know, fix it. Uh, But it's going to be one heck of a football game (laughs) when they play this year, that's for sure. Yeah, it sure will be. Do you expect any sort of extra fireworks, you know, a little uh, tension at the handshake line after the game, or do you think Saban, Jimbo, look, they're professional coaches, and they put this behind them and move forward? Yeah, I I think um, I I don't anticipate anything crazy happening. I think uh, the beginning, I think they'll try to be cool to have their normal nice little talks, you know, like you do from head coach to head coach typically because they know all the eyes are going to be watching them. Anyway, and I'm sure the ADs are going to be on them about making sure they do what's right. Um, after the game, <laughs> I think it'll be the quickest handshake or or be be more like a, when COVID was very, very mm-hmm. strong, kind of a, a wave, <laughs> you know, so they can get out of there um, pretty quick, regardless of who wins the game. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Now, as a guy who played in the league as a safety on defense, when you watch football today, right, you watch what Alabama, Alabama, of course, under Saban was all about the defense. And then the sport has really shifted towards offense, and now Alabama, they become a quarterback factory. As a former safety, when you watch football today, do you like the direction that the sport's moving in where it seems like it's becoming increasingly harder on the defenses? No, I don't like it, actually, Um, particularly from a defensive perspective because you really can't play you can't touch them you can't tackle them or you got to tackle them in the right spot or you know it just uh, it takes away from the a part of the game that i know a lot of people like and that's the physical play regardless that's why a lot of people are actually interested in football i know you want to see a lot of touchdowns and scoring and all that kind of stuff but it's not not cool when you uh being on the other side of the ball and you kind of uh you know put at a handicap because you can't do anything really except let them catch the ball and then hit them somewhere between the upper thighs and the lower chest, (laughs) you know, so you don't get fined or ejected out of the game. So I I don't, I'm not a real fan of it. Uh, I do. We have, I know we have to protect our, our players that, you know, for, we don't want head injuries and and things of that being in it. I understand it. I do. Um, But I think we're just going overboard with the rules a little bit too much. Talking with George Teague, who played at Alabama and then, of course, in the NFL for a number of years and always uh, had a lot of highlight plays on defense. Name, image, and likeness. I'm sure if that was around when you were playing, you could have certainly taken advantage of that back in the day. What do you think now of uh, NIL and uh, that that's that portion of the college football landscape right now? No, first let me say I was in favor of trying to get the guys some money. Yes, I would have took advantage of it. So I, I do think um, that it could have been a positive thing if done well. The way it's going now, I think, is totally out of control. Um, and this is why you're having 
<laughs> these type of conversations now with um, Saban and Fisher, just because it's out, it's just not. I don't think it was. They thought these consequences were going to come, where guys are going to be making, you know, three million, eight million, whatever the the numbers are now. Um, and there's no real way to govern um, what's happening. My thought was always to try to do something different with some. RA account, some type of retirement, something that you got when you got done playing and not necessarily, you know, large checks that were coming, like super large checks that were coming, that are going to athletes, um, you know, on a monthly basis or yearly basis. Because uh, basically all you've done is created a free agent market in the pro, in college, um, like you're at NFL already. Uh, and some of these guys are going to be taking pay cuts when they get to the National Football League. So um, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's good right now. Yeah, that is such a fascinating part of it, that guys could have to take pay cuts when they go to the NFL, which seems so backwards. As we talk with George Teague, who spent a number of years in the NFL, here's what I find fascinating, George, other than, of course, all the things you accomplished in the NFL and throughout your career. But you were in Green Bay when Brett Favre, of course, was the quarterback. You're in Dallas with Troy Aikman. You're in Miami with Dan Marino. As a safety, as a defensive player, I mean, how beneficial is it to go up against those guys and practice every day? Man, it was awesome. I, I'm definitely blessed to be able to play with all of those guys. Uh, and played against at least two of them uh, while I was on another team. So it was um, when you – I think that's what makes teams great. You know, we're talking about Alabama, you're talking about South Carolina, you're talking about others. When you have a practice atmosphere where you, you have really, really talented players, um, Hall of Fame-type guys, um it just makes practice so much more crisp, so much more game-like without having to be necessarily as physical that you need to be, but definitely technically sound because there's a big difference when you're playing against quarterbacks like that who could put the ball on time at the right spot with a good wide receiver. So that helped me to be able to play nine years. I know that helped me to be able to play nine years in the league. Um, because I had to be able to adjust to make sure my angles were right, my timing was right, no wasted steps as a defensive back. As a defensive back, um, so um, that's why a lot of our college teams that continually be at the top, they have those type of practices, they have those type of talents, um, where they consistently say, um, you know, in the national championship hunt. Yeah, certainly. Now you mentioned South Carolina. Uh, in regards to South Carolina, probably the greatest Gamecock of all time was um, Sterling Sharp, who was in Green Bay with you. What was it like matching up with him, or do you have a good Sterling Sharp story from your time in Green Bay together those years ago? <laughs> I love talking about Sterling Sharp. First of all, he was a great teammate. Um, you know, he worked hard. He's kind of, I would say, he was like a Michael Irvin in the way that he put in his work. You know, he just always came um, to get better. And having that combo between him and Brett Favre, you know, match was was superb. But I'll tell you one of the things about Sterling Sharp, what he would always do, and it was so funny to me, is um, if he ever saw – so his sense of humor was, was really good. Um, and he would always look at the type of shoes that the defensive backs wore, believe it or not. And if he saw some shoes that he thought that those guys were just out of place, he typically talked about guys that had on, you know, ones that kind of covered up their ankles a little bit the high top kind of shoes, oh, he would give them so much trash. Like, there's no way you can cover me with them high top <laughs> uh, shoes on. You know, he just, he, he'd be ripping into them, and then he'd go out there and beat them. Uh, 
consistently. It would be the same way in practice. If you got a, something wrong with your ankle or something, he, he wasn't shy at all about telling you uh, when he was going to put it on you. That's for sure. Talking with George Teague. Uh, speaking of the Gamecocks, I don't know how much attention you know Alabama would pay to South Carolina, but when you look at the SEC this year and Shane Beamer there at South Carolina, do you have expectations for what should be expected from the Gamecocks here heading into this season in the SEC? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see the improvements that they can make. I mean, the, the traditions you have there, the, the facilities you have there. I actually went to, to the game out there, uh, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. Um, but I just feel like um, the Gamecocks haven't met their full potential yet. And I do think it's going to have to happen here pretty soon. You know, new teams are coming in. The pressures of trying to stay on the top of the SEC are going to be huge. Um, so I think that um, they'll be better. I don't think they're ready to get call themselves the elite one in the SEC yet. Um, but I, I think they're going to make the right mark here uh, coming up in the next few years. Talking with George Teague, I know you're close to the Cowboys as we shift to the NFL with you. When you look at the NFL this year, what's a team or two that stands out that you think, you know, maybe this will be the year that they can make a run to the Super Bowl? Who do you like most in the NFL right now? You know, a lot of people are talking about the uh, – I forget which division that is on, over in the AFC with the Chargers, Broncos. Yeah, the AFC West. Uh, the AFC West. And most people aren't really picking the Raiders, and I'm kind of going with the Raiders a little bit to kind of shock some people over there. I know the Chiefs are are there, and, you know, the AFC is just kind of loaded. Um, I'm not picking my Cowboys to win the <laughs> uh, Super Bowl. Uh, but I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to uh, – I don't know. I just think what Devontae Adams – uh, the Waller, uh, even Josh uh, Jacobs. Um, I, I mean, I, their defense, they've got two bookends now. I just think they're going to be a real contender to try to um, maybe surprise some people this year. Speaking of those Cowboys, what are your expectations? Do you think they build off of last year, or do we see the Cowboys take some sort of step back even this year? Well, I think we build on our defense. I mean, we still were really good, you know, with the addition of Michael Parsons um, and some of the draft picks uh, that we've had in the past years. But it's, I'm kind of disappointed in maybe not being more aggressive in from the offensive side, giving up Amari Cooper and some of the others. Um, I just didn't feel like we were aggressive as we needed to be in free agency this year to try to um, stick with the trend of, you know, trying to buy a team, I guess. Uh, so I understand the ramifications of salary cap casualties and all this kind of stuff if you get out of the world, out of that world. But um, I, I just, I think the Eagles might have caught us a little bit with they, what they try to do with some of the strong moves they made. And that, that kind of, that worries me a little bit going into this season. Talking with George Teague, who played in the NFL, get to him on Twitter at Teague Football, and check out his podcast, Teague's Takes. Um, before we let you go, George, I, of course, would be remiss if I didn't ask you about two big moments from your career at the Cowboys. And number one, I remember it well from back in the day, was T.O. trying to celebrate on the star. You come over. You wipe him out. Take me back to that. Tell me the story of, of that sequence and how that played out um, with T.O., you know, 22 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, 
me and T.O. were having uh, some good conversations during the game um, prior to all of this, if you can read between the lines there, and they were beating up beating us pretty bad. It was about a, seemed like it was about 140 on the turf, on that old Astro turf that was in Texas Stadium at the time. And, uh, you know, as we were going, we were just talking a lot of trash. We actually had a little scuffle um, a little bit before that. And when he went out to the star the first time, I just it was kind of, I think it took everybody by, you know, just shocked everybody, like, really? You know, we're going to go there with this? And if you remember, Emmett Smith goes back out and, Tries to reclaim the star, spiking the ball down. And so when we got down to the next part, when I knew they were going to score on us again, and it's a bad feeling to have when you know they're going to score and you know who they were going to throw the ball to. And I knew they were going to throw the ball to to T.O. Um, and he was lined up against a rookie, and I figured he was going to win. Um, so all I did was really watch, uh, really just to see what he was going to do, what kind of celebration he was going to have. And when I saw him take it out to the, to the star um, one more time, I just kind of, I lost it and just said, all right, uh, I'm going with you, big fella. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there I was, just arrived at the right time, and I was really ready to throw those blows uh, if he wanted to have some. But I uh, ended up getting kicked out and uh, getting a big hefty fine. Um, but it's all worth it in the end um, because I think, you know, standing up for your team and riding for your brand and riding for the logo meant more than anything you know, to me. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. You stood up for that start. Jerry Jones didn't cover the fine afterwards because of that? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you how that conversation went. It was, uh, hey, um, the next day uh, when I had to come in, and it was like, hey, uh, you know, we really appreciate uh, what you did. We know why you did it, um, and we don't fault you for it. And then they hit me with that three-letter word, but <laughs> we're going to have to find you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Started a fight uh, out there or a riot or whatever they want to call it. So I got hit with the max. Uh, $24,999 for about eight seconds. Uh, yeah, so uh, please let all your viewers know I'm still – I got a GoFundMe page set up to <laughs> try to recoup some of that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. Um, but, you know, that's not anything that I uh, regret at all. It has come back to me many times. There's a lot of – paintings um and there's a lot of different things that i've been able to capitalize on because of this he's george teague played for a long time in the nfl get to him on twitter at teague football the other uh classic moment that i recall other than of course i mean interceptions great plays you made on defense but was when you you brought the flag out with you onto the field as the cowboys took the field following september 11th in 2001 uh, i grew up in connecticut so in the you know the backyard of of the attacks on 9 11 and uh, that's another thing that when people think George Teague, they, they remember that moment of you running out into the field with the American flag, which is um, after what happened, right, such a cool moment for you to take the flag out into the field to take the field for the Cowboys back in 2001. Yeah, that's one of my most memorable moments, actually, as a player. You know, got a few things on my resume that are called moments or some big plays, but carrying that flag out after that was it was very prideful for me. I do have a military background. Grew up on the base all the way up until about 10th grade. My father served in the Air Force for over 25 years. My brother was in the Army for 20 years. And, you know, I just have a sense of pride in our in our country. Um, and then the 9-11 just kind of hit us all, you know, deeply. And I was just inclined. I had an opportunity to try to do something that was, I felt like it could represent my family, 
um, could represent the team, but also represent our country. So um, snatching that flag up and taking it out there and playing it as the middle of the field, um, you know, it's definitely something that I cherish uh, just as highly as any of the interceptions or big hits or, or touchdowns that I might have made um, in my career. Last thing before we let you go, George, appreciate all the time. The story is the insight. But, you know, yesterday was Father's Day, a happy belated Father's Day. Uh, you're in Texas. I was just there last month. I know about the food scene in Texas. I know you're working with Kroger right now. When it comes to Father's Day, for you, when you're the grill master, what are you working with? What's the, the thing you got to be having, you got to be grilling on Father's Day? Oh, my gosh. Well, it just changed uh, now because normally I don't have the big tomahawk steaks on uh on father's day but yesterday um we did um so you can't ever go wrong with a big old piece of beef <laughs> uh if you want to be that dad that could do that i mean i love that and i love hibachi japanese food um so if you got a griddle or something you know how to throw you some some lobster or something on that, I would go with it as well. Man, you're making me hungry all over again just talking <laughs> about this stuff. I'm going to have to go back out here and um, get it. But I just had the best tomahawk steak I think I've ever done uh, on my big star grill that I got out back um, here. And I'm, oh, gosh, i got to go figure out what I'm going to cook <laughs> today. This is great. Thank you, guys. Hey, well, thank you. He's George Teague. He played for Alabama, played in the NFL for nine years. Uh, was the safety for the Cowboys, the the Packers, the Dolphins. Get to him on Twitter at Teague Football and uh, check out his podcast Teague's Take with George Teague. George, appreciate the time, the the stories, all the insight, the food talk as well. We'll have to do it again as we get towards football season. Absolutely. Good luck to you guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, sounds good. Appreciate it. George Teague, who spent nine years in the NFL, and uh, of course, I mean, he had a great career. He made some big time plays, but you probably most remember that moment we discussed when he laid out Terrell Owens on the star at the old the Cowboy Stadium 22 years ago. And that was a moment, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I grew up with plenty of Cowboys fans. The amount of times that I would see that clip or we talk about it or how much they loved it back then when that happened, uh, George Teague turned himself into a Cowboys star for, for years to come. Appreciate him. And not to be some sort of footnote because of a play like that, right? he had a pretty darn good career himself as well along the way. Appreciate the time from George uh, breaking it all down as we look ahead towards football season. Hey, when we come back, George, obviously an SEC guy. Uh, when we look at the College World Series, let's talk a little SEC baseball and um, how SEC baseball is kind of doing what George, uh, with uh, what Greg Sankey hopes SEC football will do. We'll get to that coming up. We're hanging out at CSL Plasma out here in North Charleston, 7800 Rivers Avenue across from Northwoods Mall for their Donor Appreciation Week. Come donate plasma. You'll get paid to do so, and you have a chance to win some cool prizes as well. Hanging out here today. We'll be at the other location on Thursday. Bobby will be here Wednesday for Fan Talk. Hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. 
hanging out at CSL Plasma for their uh, donation appreciation week. When you donate plasma, you get money out the door, and you also will be entered to have a chance to win some cool things this week as well. They're giving away fire sticks, tablets, a TV, grocery coupons, smart speakers, bonus money. In fact, if you mention that you heard about CSL Plasma on the radio, they'll give you a bonus cash when you come donate plasma. So we're at the location across from Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue. They have another location um, in uh, North Charleston, down the road on Rivers Avenue, uh, 3700, 3725 Rivers Avenue. And uh, so come out and see them. They have food trucks on site daily at that other CSL Plasma location at uh, 3725 Rivers Ave. And also bonus cash for all first-time donors, uh, uh, pardon me, first responders, teachers, and military. Bonus cash when you come donate plasma if you are uh, a first responder, a teacher, or part of the military as well. You get bonus cash. So how about that, right, especially for a teacher. Summer vacation. You're not working anyways. you got some time to come donate plasma, and you'll get some extra bucks for it as well. So come see them. Uh, appreciate the time earlier from Lorenzo, the center manager, talking about what they do here at CSL Plasma uh, and how important plasma is to help so many out there. Appreciate the time. Last segment from George Teague joining us, nine-year NFL safety. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. Uh, SEC Baseball. Why I think actually baseball could be exactly what football may want to be. There's not a lot of things that SEC football should try to look up towards or be envious of or try to aspire to be because SEC football is the tops in college football. But when it comes to SEC baseball, as we look at the College World Series, I think they're doing exactly what Greg Sankey would love from his football conference. And it's twofold. Number one is that SEC baseball, of course, has dominated the pool of college, the College World Series in terms of numbers, members, how many teams. Um, you know, half of the field came from a single division in the SEC. And I think that's exactly what Greg Sankey will point to when he is pushing for some sort of expanded playoff. The conference in college football that needs an expanded playoff the least is the SEC, of course. I mean, they're just fine. They're winning all the championships. Right? They've won the last three from three different programs. They don't need to expand the playoff. In a sense, it only makes it harder on their top teams to try to go through that field. Now, I would argue it really doesn't make it much harder. It just drags out the inevitable. Alabama would still win, and LSU would have still won You know, two years ago. And Georgia probably would have still won this past year, even with eight teams in the playoff, and they would have to play an extra game. As we saw in the semifinals, right? Michigan, Cincinnati, they were no test for Alabama or Georgia. But when you look at the uh, College World Series, it's filled with SEC teams bettering their chances, especially when the best team, Tennessee, doesn't even get there. That's why SEC football would want to expand the playoff. They don't need to. They're going to win national championships anyways. But why not give themselves an even better chance or just simply have more teams there? If you do an eight-team field for the college football playoff or even if you go up to like 16, something crazy, right, SEC football could also have half of that playoff field just like they're doing in SEC baseball. That's what Sankey wants, and that's what he, like, dreams of. That's what he hopes to accomplish if they can expand the playoff in college football. But the other part of it, too, is also what college football, or I should say SEC football, is starting to do. 
Right now, five SEC baseball programs have won seven of the last 12 championships. So you've had five different winners the last dozen years. And oddly enough, none of those five are even still in the College World Series this year. So while there are four teams in the SEC that are left in Omaha, they're unique teams compared to the ones we've had in the past with, of course, the Gamecocks and Florida and Mississippi State. An SEC team has played an SEC team for the national title uh, three times in football and three times in baseball over the past 11 years. And since 1998, no other conference can say that they've had an all-conference championship. So I think for SEC, what their football, they hope to accomplish in football is kind of what they're already doing with baseball. Number one, dominating the pool of playoff teams. Right, If you expand the playoff in college football, it will be dominated by the SEC. And then number two, also just getting all sorts of new blood in there. And I talked about this a few weeks ago when I thought maybe Tennessee would be the next team to win their first ever national championship out of the SEC. But the teams that are winning from the SEC are kind of doing it for the first time. right? Mississippi State, Vanderbilt's turned themselves into a good program, but they won their first national championship just eight years ago. Uh, they don't have some sort of rich history of winning baseball championships. So Tennessee this year was the best team in college baseball. They've never won a national championship. So you get these different teams instead of just Alabama dominating. Now we've had Alabama, LSU, Georgia, right? We've had three different schools last three years. Maybe you get a Texas A&M to the playoff this year, right? Fingers crossed. Maybe Lane Kiffin elevates Ole Miss to a playoff team. Um, Maybe Arkansas continues to climb to the point that they're competing for a playoff spot. We know the SEC is the best conference in college football. They'll only become stronger with an expanded playoff and also would become stronger with a little more parity. If Alabama continues to be a great program, but you get these other teams making it to the playoff or winning a championship for the first time, that only makes the SEC better. And we're seeing that from the baseball. Unique teams getting to the College World Series out of the SEC and the SEC filling up the College World Series bracket. That's exactly what Sankey would want out of his football conference. There's not a lot that SEC football should be like envious of or aspire to be because they're already the tops. But there's a couple of things that SEC baseball is doing that Sankey probably wishes his football side of the conference was accomplishing as well in their sport. Now, when we come back, uh, today's parade day for the Warriors. Let's talk a little bit about Steph Curry, and I'll compare him again to Tom Brady as we did earlier today. We're hanging out at CSL Plasma in North Charleston across from the Northwoods Mall, 7800 Rivers Avenue. It's Donor Appreciation Week, so come out, donate plasma. If you haven't done it before, don't worry. It's not as scary as it may sound. It's very much like giving blood. It just takes a little bit longer, plus... Uh, they put it back in you. They just take the plasma, and so you can donate a second time within a week as well and get even more money. You can earn up to $800 the first month you donate plasma. So pretty good to get the little extra cash for the summer. You know, pay a bill, plan a summer vacation, get some textbooks for college, whatever it is. And just dealing with inflation, you can uh, earn a little extra here at uh, CSL Plasma. And this week they're giving away all sorts of things for Donor Appreciation Week as well, TV, tablet, speakers as well so come check them out csl plasma in north charleston we're hanging out here at the location across from the northwoods mall at 7800 rivers avenue it's the more midday show right here on espn radio spend lunch with luke attention campers lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle deal with it on the morrow midday show
It's the Morrow Midday Show. Well, Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Out on the road today and outdoors. It's a beautiful day, so hopefully you're uh, driving around listening, doing something out in the yard. Maybe even today it's not too hot. I can only imagine. Uh, Bobby's supposed to be doing fan talk from here on Wednesday, and on Wednesday the forecast calls for about 96 degrees. So we'll see how that goes. But hanging out outside today because today it's a little more comfortable, at least in the shade. We're in the mid-80s today. It's a beautiful Monday. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Hopefully you had a great Father's Day. Um, And hopefully you still have your father in your life to celebrate with. Or now you're a father. And hopefully your kids did something special for you yesterday. So hopefully uh, you had a great Father's Day weekend uh, over the weekend. And now we get back into it. Hey, the Warriors will get to celebrate today. The celebrations continue for Golden State as they have their victory parade today. Earlier talked about Kenny Atkinson spurning the Hornets, after all, to stay with the Warriors as their assistant coach instead of becoming the next head coach of Charlotte. And if you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And those podcasts are available online as well, charlestonsportsradio.com. Appreciate the time earlier from George Teague. We also talked with uh, Lorenzo Bowser here at CSL Plasma. He's the center manager of this location so you can always find things on demand. Um, as I said earlier, you can find the full breakdown. But, you know, Atkinson, similar to maybe a Josh McDaniels situation a few years ago at the Patriots, maybe he thinks he could be next in line for Steve Kerr and the Warriors. And if I'm the Hornets, I guess Mike D'Antoni may be next in line for them. And I'd also try to make the case, looking at the glass half full, if you're a Hornets fan, maybe this ends up being the best thing for a Michael Jordan, who always performs his best when somebody – ticks him off when somebody gives him a reason right, to go out there and play even better back in his playing days. Now, I know he's not a player. He's an executive now, and he hasn't been great. He doesn't have a great track record there at the Hornets, but maybe this little bit of a kick in the pants now that can be that motivation for him to elevate his game as the executive right, running the Hornets as one of their owners in Charlotte. But while I saw some comparisons between Kenny Atkinson and Josh McDaniels when he was with New England. I also see comparison between Steph Curry and Tom Brady, right? I think they've had similar paths throughout their careers. They were both clearly under-recruited coming out of high school, or at least at that point, underdeveloped. Curry wound up at Davidson. Brady was a backup at Michigan. Good football program, no doubt, but, you know, he wasn't some sort of top prospect, and he wasn't even their starter to begin. And then coming out of college, right, still both were very under-drafted. Tom Brady went almost 200th, and Steph Curry was barely in the top 10, which still sounds good, right, number seven pick. But you go back and you look at some of the guys taken before him, and it seems ridiculous in hindsight. And then both guys developed into all-time greats. Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. Curry, the greatest shooter we've ever had. And both have led the best dynasties we've had in their sport for at least the last 20 years. Brady and the Patriots, now Curry and the Warriors here after their latest championship. And as they continued along with their, you know, great careers, it wasn't that they needed another ring, especially after they got their first few. But, boy, does it boost the legacy. For Tom Brady, once you win a couple of championships, I mean, he got three out of the way early. He had three Super Bowls in the first four years. At that point, he probably didn't have to win anymore. Right? But then you win the fourth, and it's like, okay. And now you're tying with Montana, and then, okay, you pass them, and then, well, can you do it without Belichick? And you're going, you win the seventh. And at this point, there's really not much of a debate to be had. And
And even though Brady didn't necessarily need those rings, he didn't necessarily need a sixth or a seventh, it certainly boosts the legacy. That once he gets those rings, it's clear he's the greatest of all time. You can't really dispute it. Similar with Steph Curry. Did Curry really need a fourth championship? No, probably not. But obviously it doesn't hurt. And boy, did it boost his legacy. Where now we're talking about being the best point guard of all time. That's the conversation to have come out of this latest championship for Golden State. And I would even look at how they won their championships and see a, a similar path. Right early on, their first championships were both pretty big surprises. I mean, the Warriors, by the time we got to the playoffs, you know, they had over 70 wins. And they were the favorite. But I don't know if anybody forecasted that type of season that year. They broke the Bulls' record for wins. They went on to win the championship. I remember I was working in minor league baseball at the time, and I remember the coaching staff would hang around and watch the Warriors after our baseball games. They'd stay in the clubhouse, and uh, there was always benefits to the clubhouse. I mean, there's free food and drinks on the uh, at the time we were I was with the Cincinnati Reds, so you know they they foot the bill instead of going back to your hotel or going back to your apartment and having to go to the store and get things. You know, you stay in the clubhouse. There's alcoholic beverages in there. There's a kitchen with all sorts of food. They'd make themselves a burrito or whatever, you know, make some tacos, sit down, and the Warriors would be playing, of course, on the West Coast. They were playing, you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30. Baseball game wraps up. The team's clearing out. And the coaching staff to unwind would sit there, and they'd watch the Warriors. And uh, the manager was a former big leaguer who's from Cuba. And so he grew up, you know, not playing basketball. I was never the biggest basketball fan. And I remember talking to him about it and asking him, like, oh, I didn't realize you are a big basketball guy. And I remember him saying, you know, I'm not really a big basketball guy, but I love watching the Warriors and Steph Curry. And we were talking about, are they going to break the Bulls' record? And, you know, they kind of came out of nowhere that year in terms of how much success they had. And similar to New England, the Patriots' first Super Bowl, where nobody saw that coming. Bill Belichick was, a, uh, you know, essentially viewed as a failure at that point as a head coach in Cleveland. Bledsoe gets injured, Brady comes in, and nobody knew who Tom Brady was, and you never would have thought he would be the Super Bowl MVP a few months later. And especially the fact nobody even thought by the time they reached the Super Bowl, people still didn't think they'd win. They were 10.5-point underdogs against the Rams. Greatest show on turf, and they beat them. And that first championship for both teams, you wouldn't call it a fluke, but it was just, I guess, a big surprise. You didn't really forecast it. See that coming. And then as they start to win some more, the Patriots soon after, same with Golden State. Then you try to push the credit onto somebody else. Right for Steph Curry, eh, yeah, but he's playing with Kevin Durant. Of course they're winning championships. For Tom Brady, yeah, but he's got the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. Of course they're winning Super Bowls. And as they won more and more, you try to give the credit to somebody else. But now, Brady got that last Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. And Curry now got his last championship, most recent championship, without Kevin Durant. And so it leaves you wondering, like, what else can be said at this point? Uh, they've done it all. Now, sure, for Steph Curry, you could say you got to catch up to Jordan or eventually try to get to Bill Russell. But when you're talking about just that player in a vacuum, there's not much more to criticize. For Tom Brady, the, the thing we said about both these guys, in fact, is about their system. That's why they're successful. And so Brady left Belichick, goes to Tampa, leaves the quote-unquote system, and in Tampa wins a Super Bowl. And now for those even saying, like, yeah, it was more about New England, now you can no longer say that either. Now, Brady essentially is the system, and he brought that system with him to Tampa Bay. And it's a big reason why they were successful, and I imagine it's a big reason why Bruce Arians is no longer the coach there either. And I would also say for Steph Curry, 
he is the system as well. We talk about these system players, but a lot of times the players are the systems themselves. Steph Curry, right, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg. You could say he wouldn't be as successful without the system he plays in in Golden State. But then you could also say they probably wouldn't have that same quote-unquote system you're talking about without Steph Curry. Right, just like Lamar Jackson. The Ravens would not be running that same offense if Lamar Jackson was not the quarterback. The player is essentially the system. And system has such a negative connotation in the sports world for whatever reason. But I think a system is a good thing. It's a positive. It's good to have a good system that makes for seamless transactions, transitions, or just accomplishments, whether it's in sports or your own personal life, right, at your company, or even at home, you have a system. I know I system growing up. We all had a different, you know, like chore around the house. I used to have to do the dishes after dinner. My father would clean the table when my brothers were in the house because they were older than me. You know, when once they went off to college, it was just on me. I had to do the dishes. He had a system. My mother would cook. We'd all eat together. I do the dishes. Father cleans the table. We put things away. You got a system. You get it done quicker. Now you're on the couch watching baseball after. Systems are good things. Michael Jordan was a quote-unquote system player. Won all his championships in the triangle. Same with Kobe Bryant. Right, Lamar Jackson, sure, system player. But you know what? It helps him get an MVP and the Ravens to the playoffs. It works. And for Steph Curry, similar. Does he benefit from those around him in Golden State? Or Steve Kerr as his coach? Or the style of play? Or even the era he plays in? Yeah, right, absolutely. But that's a good thing. We view it as a negative. I think it's smart business to do such a thing. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time, and maybe in part because of this era. This is not to try to knock down Curry because he is an incredible talent. He has changed the game. He, what he accomplishes, he makes it look so easy that you think you could go out in the driveway and do it, and you can't, right? It's hard. But I will say one little um, couched statement to all this, and I mentioned this earlier. You know, if Larry Bird was playing today, we could have a pretty good debate about the better shooter. Steph Curry is a better shooter because he shoots from further out. But in terms of, like, precision, how hard they were to stop, how they can make any shot on the floor, the different angles, Larry would shoot these leaners off one foot, his hips would be not even facing towards the rim, he'd bank it in, he'd make a shot from behind the backboard. He did that a couple of times. I mean, Bird was incredible. He just didn't shoot the threes. Ray Allen's another one where three-pointers, Ray Allen was able to hang around the league for so long. He's considered like the second-best shooter. Curry's passed him now. And threes became a thing for Ray in the second half of his career. But he came into the league, you know, like in the mid-'90s, but still we weren't shooting a lot of threes. If Ray Allen was in his prime now, he'd be another one that I think, you know, could challenge Steph in terms of just raw numbers. So era plays a role as well when you talk about Curry and how prolific he is. But just like Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, Curry is the best at what he does, shooting all time as well. And there's not much left that you can say to try to put these guys down. Now that Brady won without Belichick, Curry won without Durant, and you could put it all on the systems they play in, but I think that's just being a smart organization or a smart coach. Put them in a place where they can succeed, and they could be that all-time great for you. Why wouldn't you want to set them up to succeed? And that's what these teams have done with these players. Hey, we'll wrap up your uh, Monday when we come back, hanging out at CSL Plasma for Donor Appreciation Week out here at uh, the location across from the Northwoods Mall at 7800 Rivers Avenue. Come check them out, donate plasma, get some prizes for it. You get paid just for simply donating as well. 
And they're also doing some giveaways this week for Donor Appreciation Week. We'll wrap up your Monday next. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Yo, what up? What's the word, big fella? Everything's good on this end. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Luke. Hey, man. Pleasure to be on your show. I'm doing great, but I'm hoping you could call me Boca Baby. Great show. You did a good job. Hey, you're turning into rapidly my favorite person I've interviewed with, and I've done like 50 of these in the last week. You've done your homework. I like it. I absolutely like it. I love that. Another great thought. You've done your homework, haven't you? Good job. You've always getting these big stars and important people on. That's, that's great to hear. We like to hear the interviews. You know, it's uncanny how you do this, Luke. And I don't know how you do because I, you know, I do this gauntlet of radio on Thursdays where I do all these different cities. Many of them need their hosts to have me give them some talking points. You hit all my talking points every week. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny how good you are. Always great talking football with you, Luke. Appreciate you guys being right. Very impressive. just want to say I find you the low country Colin Coward. You use common sense with statistics and you combine them and you think outside the box. Shout out to all the people itself that support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Da-da-da-da. Go ahead, boy. That's how you bring it on. Is this a sports show or a dancing show? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're doing around here. Well, it's loop for three hours. Anything goes. On the Morrow Midday Show. Firing your heart is out. I'm sure you've heard it all before, but you never really had it out. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Wrapping up your Monday from CSL Plasma here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Appreciate all the fine folks that I've uh, seen. Right when you're out, when you're not only out and about with a remote broadcast, but also literally out, you're outside. Uh, you don't have to go into the building. You can come up on the sidewalk. Appreciate all those who have stopped by throughout the afternoon. Uh, so nice to uh, nice to see so many fine folks out here in North Charleston as we hang out at CSL Plasma at 7800 Rivers Avenue across from Northwoods Mall. Hey, um, if you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll be talking all week about Donor Appreciation Week for CSL Plasma. Bobby and Fan Talk will be out here on Wednesday, and uh, I'll be at the other location coming up on Thursday. And they got all sorts of different giveaways all week long as well. But come out, donate plasma. You can help save others in the process. You get paid 100 bucks. As you leave, the first time you donate plasma. I did it on Friday, and it wasn't my first time either. And you can earn up to 800 bucks for your first month of donating plasma. It's simple, safe, it's easy, helps others. You get paid. And this week for Donor Appreciation Week, they got a bunch of cool giveaways as well. Plus, mention you heard about CSL Plasma right here on the radio and get uh, some bonus cash as well. We'll be back in studio tomorrow for a more traditional show. In the meantime... Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.